We are the bears. Rudy. 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 I was going to start singing it. We are the bears. We know we're good. We know we're good in the neighborhood. The Super Bowl shuffle. You know, we grew up in such a time in the 80s where, I mean, you had... Football players in the form of uh, action figures like G.I. Joe. Oh, sure. Refrigerator Perry. If, yeah, Refrigerator Perry. You had, um, we had music videos. We had uh, Bono's this, Bono's that. We had starters, starter jackets. We had starting lineup, which oh, I don't yeah. think was necessarily, were they football too, starting lineup? They might have they made progressed football to football. Ones. And basketball. I yeah. Mean, I think they did all the major sports. I mean, we were just. Remember it, the cartoon, which was, I don't remember what it was called. The Some, three of them? Something All-Stars. It was and Bo it, Jackson, Larry Bird, and... No, it was Bo Jackson, Michael Jordan, and Dwayne Gretzky. Oh, wait, okay. And they were like they fighting really, crime? They really should have had four, but because Bo played two sports. He gets two. <laughs> you know. Bo, you don't know diddly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Bo, remember all those commercials? Bo knows this, Bo knows that. Uh, and then Ricky, didn't Ricky Henderson play football for a minute, too? I feel like he, he tried to dabble. I don't know. And you had... Uh, You're like, I don't know. What's his name? There's uh, another guy who played baseball and football, Dion. Uh, Dion Sanders. Sanders. Yeah, yeah. Dion, me. <laughs> Dion Baia. <laughs> yeah. Dion, Dion Baia. Welcome to Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. The only podcast starring Dion Baia <laughs> and Jay Blake. And and we is R&B, Dion Baia and Jay Blake. We were, uh, were in the holiday months. I know. Now. This is a little, everyone's getting nice and toasty and warm with their family, perhaps eating some turkey, perhaps crying over some wine or beer. Uh, all the leaves are almost on the ground, and you're doing a lot of raking, and uh, people are watching their sports. And uh, Blake and I have come again to another Saturday night. <laughs> We've um, slowly taken out our onesies and unfolded them. We've both... Uh, Turned around and looked at the corner as we changed. Made some s'mores over the gas stove. We made some pilot. s'mores over the gas stove. <laughs> parents have gone to bed. Blake's stipulations like we gotta have the parents go to bed first. So yep. parents went to bed. We I came downstairs. For the parents to go to bed. My dad at least go at least go upstairs. Yeah, you go upstairs. <laughs> My dad was lingering, asking Blake all these questions. Some he hadn't seen him in a while. Some hot cocoa. Had some hot cocoa in the microwave, and I was like, No, I want to do it in a, in a pot in a pan. Do you remember back in the 80s when, like, microwave popcorn was becoming big? Sure. It was like, you know what? Somebody figured out, How hey, to, wait. Yeah. We could throw my... <laughs> yeah, way before popcorn lung and all those people died of that <laughs> popcorn lung sinkus in that factory. Orville Redenbacher was like, and then we'll just package it that way. Yeah. We'll put it in a bag. That's why, Orville, they call you Redenbacher. And so they were trying to really capitalize on flavors. Oh, know? Yeah. And I was just describing this to someone. It's like vaping now. <laughs> you know? They had, you could, had ca caramel popcorn. Okay. And so you, it was a bag of microwavable popcorn. My dad bought like a package. You had me a bag. Trying to do it. And then you yeah. put it in the microwave. Okay. You pop the popcorn. Yeah. And then separately, there was like a stick of caramel. Like then you would like peel, you know, you take it out of the package, you peel the package away, and then you drop the caramel. In the in, hot. In the hot. And then, <laughs> and then you have to sh shake the crap. And make sure you, your hands aren't hitting that steam escape. Ah, 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 ah. So, ultimately, you just get like a, a glob. Like of, a real glob. Like a glob. Like a popcorn ball in the middle of the bag. <laughs> and, then, and then, you know, it starts, it immediately hardens and you're like, 
and your hand, imagine how disgusting your hands are. We've talked about in maybe the Black Hole podcast about um, Jiffy Pop, and then mm-hmm. using the the. Uh, we both talked about the popcorn popping machine. Oh yeah, the air popper. The yeah. air popper with the yellow discharge, yeah, and then, but the then you can melt the butter in the butter little, in the, the little yeah. cup. So I wonder, <laughs> if, and I remember my parents had that in the early '80s, and that was like, you know, turn it on. I was like, turn it on like a fucking like a fan, like so, a, a hair dryer. <laughs> Lights yeah, the lights dim because <laughs> it's, it's a lot. Of, it's a pull on the circuit, you know. If you had the radio on the other room, but the, you blow a circuit, yeah. <laughs> lights up, like, <laughs> lights start flickering. Everybody's um, <laughs> everybody's meter starts taking a hit, you know. You see, but and then I wonder at what point that did that start to change over? Like in the mid '80s, it was like you know when you got the Jiffy Pop and all those not Jiffy Pop but the popcorn microwavable ones. Yeah, people are like, why are we gonna pull that thing? Yeah, because then in the I remember in the late '80s and '90s, you know that's all, we never pulled that thing out again. It's uh, we probably still have that in the same cabinet, but you'd be putting that stuff in, and I remember like that was like hardcore. I mean, the butter was just like you know taking it. Was oh, just, my brother it was a ritual. I'm sure I talked about it in a previous episode, yeah. so I don't get into it. But it was a ritual. Yeah, my brother would make it. Yeah, and there was all these steps to it. I, if you're saying we talked about it in black hole maybe. Well, no we only brought up just popcorn and then i was saying my affinity i have a memory associated with jiffy pop with the black hole because i would do it and that was my mom would beat me because the gas was an eye <laughs> you know that because <laughs> you gotta shake it and i'm just sitting there like that you know holding it there just burning and then i think we brought up the popper on that as yeah. well so my brother would make the pop real quick my brother would make the popcorn yeah you put the butter in that little cup at the top and then the heat from the popper melts the pop, melts the butter. So we're talking about a machine here, yeah. Yeah, yeah. For for the youngins. <laughs> <laughs> there was the machine. We would use a machine. Yeah. And then you would put up like a, a like a container. Yeah. And then would say there was a spout on the machine, and it would feed. It would get right into the bowl. It would shoot it out. It would puke out the yeah. <laughs> pop cord. It's kind of like an air fryer now. It's like, and, so it, and then it would all come out into the thing. So then my brother would. Take it, take the butter, and he drizzle it all in there. Oh, so the buzz, the butter would just only melt in that little tray. It wouldn't get in there. No, I don't. Not on mine anyway. Oh, that's that's. It would melt in the cup, and then you would (laughs) empty it into the into the bowl. And uh, because it's got, you got to put the butter into this little cup, shut it, yeah, and then do this process of osmosis and melt it. And then when we're done, you got to open that little compartment up and take it out. That's it's genius. And then he would salt. He put the butter, and then he'd salt it. Yeah. Now we had all these giant containers and i don't know what originally came in them but my grandmother had them and then we had them and so they had tops like the popcorn tins no it was just uh it was a plastic container it would have been perfect for bucket of pizzas it would have been perfect for a bucket of pizza no wonder <laughs> so you see the steps of your grandma this is now we're getting the backstory of how bucket of pizza <laughs> yeah like, blake just had containers <laughs> just you know, around his house laying around and like on the side, it was like you know maybe a graphic of like a, a horse and buggy or something. I don't remember. I don't know what was. Were they in tin? Them. No, they were plastic. Okay. And you know it was like when to pull the to pull the top off, it was like <laughs> <laughs> you like really have to. This is before Tupperware as well. Yeah, and then, well, it was probably not before, but it was like a poor man's Tupperware. Yeah, but it was hard like, plastic. Probably right? like a giant thing of like ricotta cheese came in it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Who, yeah. knows, who knows what was coming in? Not microwavable safe. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely would have put that thing. It yeah. wouldn't have fit in the microwave. It was so big. Wow. I mean, it wasn't giant, but microwaves, you know, they're not that big. Um, so then we'd put it, he would put all in there, salt it, and then he'd put the top on. Okay. And then he'd like toss it up in the air. He'd roll it to me across the kitchen floor. This is your brother. And this was all to mix. This is the end of the pot process <laughs> after you put the butter in? Yeah. So like, the process was really, it wasn't like the popping or the buttering or the salting. I mean, that was the early stages. But the real process was 
blending. You yeah. know, it was distributing. This is like an artisan <laughs> way. So it was like flipping it over. Street performance. We'd roll it back and forth to, forth to each other across the kitchen floor with the top on. Did your dad like hurry up? Come on! Whoa, whoa, whoa! This was at my mom's house. Oh, sorry, <laughs> my uh, I don't think my dad had an air popper. Yeah, he he was he he jumped on the microwave popcorn really quick. Sure, but all the all the nights that Dion and I have spent together, watching movies, yeah, living as roommates together, either living in a in a dorm room, out of wedlock. <laughs> <laughs> we only ever did Jiffy Pop once. Did we? Yeah, on. Uh, in Yonkers, we, we were like, did. We were like, screw it, we're getting Jiffy Pop tonight. We we're gonna watch movie. Do you remember what we watched? <laughs> no, it might have been during our Burt Reynolds. Uh, oh, our Burt Reynolds, <laughs> the B sides film, film, film festival. festival of his of his lesser known classics. Can you imagine thinking about now? Like I'm growing up, that was all my parents did was save plastic containers, reuse them. Put you're putting the pasta in there. You're putting all this, and then that, it's only been in the past five years. People say like, you know, you shouldn't be using those as microwavable <laughs> because the plastics. And Jesus, I was microwaving that shit back in the day. You take it out, and the thing was all soft. <laughs> You know, you're like, ah, 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 and you put it down and it's losing its shape. It's like, like finger indents in yeah, it. Exactly. From it you know, you're, 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 the food's sticking in it. You know, it's like the, the pasta noodles are, <laughs> come on, it's sticking to the wet plastic. <laughs> and now everybody's got a bad cough. Yeah, well, what can you do? You know, you live and you learn. You know, it's you like know? the old microwaves. They were like fucking stoves. You know how big they were in those things? You well, know? yeah, those were, those were big. <laughs> it was like one of those... um those machines yeah. now you see in the in the gas stations or the bodegas that like you know you that you can order a pizza and they put it in it's like a I forget the name of that company that's really big that's revolutionized them but they they cook in like ninety seconds you have a fresh pizza yeah you know it's like that big that's the old microwave you put the fucking thing in you like you have to turn it like it's like you're dialing on a dial on a TV yeah. it's like it's <laughs> to the wall yeah you know it's like the old um uh <laughs> my my um cousins when we go over their house when they'd make the big you know they'd have the family over for whatever and we do the and after the dinner was done all the wives would you know do not to this is not sound sexy but this is what <laughs> would happen they would do like the dishes and chat and drink their wine and fuck around you know because while the guys did stuff in the living room yeah. and then when they were done i remember they'd they'd have to pull the island out because that's where the um dishwasher was and they'd have to roll it to the sink and put the hose and hook it up you know it was that that way of doing it where you hook it up to that's how you get your water so it was a portable dishwasher the older dishwashers yeah yeah it wasn't like installed in one place you'd have to roll it over to the sink get the water and then when you're done you, you know, roll it back yeah jesus get the <laughs> well i mean it was there it was just you just have to move it from one side of the kitchen it wasn't like in the closet or in the garage <laughs> pulling it up from the basement <laughs> It's always hard as bringing it up. Why can't we just leave it up here? No, because there's no room. Yeah, we should get one with wheels. But anyway, that has nothing to do with what we're talking about no, today. No, no. Um, we're actually doing the 1993 um, sports classic. Yeah, Rudy. Uh, Rudy. How many? Um, let's see. We've done slap shot. We did Rocky. We did Rocky. Uh, I feel like we've done another uh, sports movie, I something. Mean, Karate Kid is kind of sports. So I is mean, it uh, is a tournament. I was going to say it's above the law. So is um, uh, over the over top. Over the top. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're organized was, tournaments. So. Yeah. Well, they, they invented an organized tournament <laughs> for that thing, so we'll deem that a sport. Go back and listen to that one if yeah. you want to hear that. We did, uh, we did No Holds Barred, which is wrestling. 
It's true. You know, right? Um, have we sports done sports entertainment? Sports entertainment, and in, in, in the bigger thing, we haven't done any like uh, we have done the 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 most dangerous game. You know, where it's in uh, what's the name of that movie down in Louisiana with Hunt Van Damme? Target. Yeah, there's Hunt Man there. I guess <laughs> <laughs> I guess technically that's you know sport. it's it's a it's just kind of like a fox and a hound kind of a thing. So uh, we're doing Rudy tonight from 1993. Well, you know, we were thinking. Uh, what could we do? I, I was like, well, we should do something that's kind of automy. Yeah. And I looked up. And it's something that's like separates ourselves from the, the huge titanic of body of work that we've been putting out this year. Yeah. yeah. And so I looked up like autumn movies and there were a couple and then we just kind of settled on Rudy because we knew it was going to be coming out around Thanksgiving and college football is like a, thanks, a Thanksgiving tradition. Yeah, and the Notre Dame game is isn't that the tra- Thanksgiving tradition? People watch the the Notre Dame Notre Dame game. I wouldn't know. Yeah. <laughs> I think it is and there I think the Rose Bowl is also. I mean, I remember when I was in high school and around high school that was the big the Thanksgiving would be the big game and then I'd go and root for the people I knew on the on the team and then even I think the first year after maybe I even went to there, or the second year after I went to the, the Thanksgiving football <clears throat> game. You know. So uh, in on you know in in Saturday night movie sleepover tradition, I figured we would discuss the entire history of. I, I was going to say that too. We're going to start the entire and, history of football and the entire history of Notre Dame University <laughs> and the entire <laughs> history of the NFL. <laughs> As well as the entire history of um, the Dion has gone and watched the um, the uh, new uh, uh, what's his name the new um, Rockney uh, All American movie from 1940. So we're going to dissect that entire thing about the Gipper. Yes, yes, which was the only time before Rudy. Then, yeah, Notre Dame was allowed someone to be filmed on, uh, and then, yeah. So we should get started because it's going to be a long episode. <laughs> <laughs> So, <laughs> got a lot to go. <laughs> a lot, a lot to, we're going to break this up a little bit. We're going to have, uh, you know, going back between the history of football, the NFL, and then well, uh, you Notre know, Dame. before football, they had uh, rugby. things like rugby and, and um, tag. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, uh, Duck, Duck, Goose. Um, and uh, uh, so let's, full disclosure, I Blake knows I've never been really a sports guy um, growing up. I would certainly watch it with my dad. My dad was a huge sports guy. Loved uh, he loved baseball. He loved basketball. He loved football. He loved hockey. Whatever was in season, it was on. Um, I gravitated more of watching baseball, and I would go to baseball games. And then I played little league up until maybe middle school or so. So I was in maybe four or five years of you know like the little league games and stuff. Um, and then. I always found football to be really boring to me because it, there was never a lot of action. Uh, but that said, uh, in the late 80s, my father got a subscription to Sports Illustrated. So we were getting the Sports Illustrated issues in the house, and I wasn't really much of a reader, so I wouldn't really read them so much. But they got extra stuff, and he got from like 1985 or 86. It was called the um, NFL Crunch Course, VHS. Uh, and it was the... Um, the NFL's greatest hits and hitters, and it's just a freaking do- a forty-five minute doc on you know the history of getting beat up <laughs> in football. And I played the crap out of that thing, watching all the different guys, yeah. Howie Long, and all these guys, Buckus, and these fucking people, LT, Lawrence Taylor, and that you know. So there was a cer- certain romanticism for me watching, and I always thought how cool football players looked in their masks 
on the field. It's cold out. Uh, it's dark, say, or it's snowing, and you can't see their faces. It's just dark, but then you could see the steam coming out from them breathing. Like I like just the the gladiatorness of it all. I loved, and then this documentary, especially this Crunch Course thing, it was shot on film, so the grittiness of the '70s and '80s, you know, uh, film and all that kind of thing. I loved all that stuff, and then of course my dad was a big New York Giants fan. So in 1986, when the Giants won, the um, Big Blue Wrecking Crew won the, I was going to say the World Series, the Super Bowl, you know, it was Lawrence Taylor that brought, I I remember this day being in my basement where we are now, and hearing my dad jumping, I was thinking he was going to break the freaking, the the wood on the living room, come right through, because he was jumping because he was screaming so hard that uh, that the Giants won, but like I said, like football, like sports was all around us. G.I. Joe, we had um, the, uh, the Refrigerator Perry. Uh, Saturday Night Night Live that I watched, they always make the jokes uh, with uh, Dicka, Polish Sausage. They do the Bears, the Bull, you know, that kind of yeah, a thing. Yeah. Um, you were a sports kind of a guy, but you were more hockey. Yeah, I mean, I, I never really got too much into watching but following sports. Uh, I went through phases. I, I got very into basketball for a while in maybe middle school. Watching basketball, a little MJ there, Michael J- Jordan. Yeah, I was, you know, I was originally from Philadelphia, so that was, you know, that was post like the Dr. J days. But you saw the romanticized, <laughs> for, you know, the the romanticized uh, dreams of Dr. J. But by that point, like Charles Barkley, because he was uh, playing for the Sixers, so I was into that. I was into Charles Barkley. Yeah, and I liked basketball because you know it just kind of constantly moved. Sure. And then I played hockey at that point, so. I, I followed hockey for a while. Um, never really got into football. I played little league, and when I was real little, I played basketball and soccer and stuff. But you played little league football or baseball? Baseball. Yeah, I, my mom wouldn't have let me play football. Yeah, I feel like I want. I, I I would have loved to play. I'm not, I never was the weight to do it. That was the problem. So, but I think my, that'd my be dad fun. played football in high school, and then my brother played football in high school, and then he got injured. Yeah, even though because and my mom didn't want him to play, but he was living with my dad at that point. Yeah. Um, and then that was that ended his football career. Sure, <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> but you know I don't know. I mean, uh, there's something about sports movies that touch people in a way that other movies just don't. You know, there's something I think primal about it i mean we talk about it in rocky a, a little bit but and when we covered rocky on the show oh so many years ago mm. but there is something about uh you know i don't know i mean I, you and i don't nev- necessarily ever really talk sports movies so i don't know your outlook on on sports movies but i think in um, it's a generalization but i think you know in general and maybe it's a guy thing i don't know but that you know things like Rocky, this I persevere because so many of them are about persevering. Yeah, winning the, against you the know odds. even 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 slap shot is kind of is about that. Sure, <laughs> you know in a different yeah. in a different way. Um, or Major League, all those movies. Field yeah, of dreams. I mean, because I mean, I guess that's that's a that's a typical it's an easy convention to apply to a sports movie is this idea of like there's a definite goals. Yeah, because the whole point of a sport is to win. Sure. So when you put, you throw in an underdog story, and, and whether you like sports or not, I feel like there, there's something. It, it can be connect with it because we all. I feel, I feel like even the people 
that are most successful probably think of themselves. They're the underdog in their own story. You yeah, know what yeah. I mean? Like, so we all kind of think of ourselves as Rudy or Rocky because no matter what we're trying to accomplish, there are at times seemingly impossible odds that we need to overcome. Yeah. No matter what it is. And so, it, you know, and, and of course there are underdog stories in other aspects of cinema, but there's just something so clean and clear cut about those, that type of story in a sports setting that just, I think people just connect with and, and probably because it's so simple. Yeah. In the case of Rudy, it's, it's based on a true story. Whereas like Rocky's not really, I mean, it's inspired by that fight. Um, but you know, there's something Rudy's become probably not as famous as as Rocky on, on that kind of front, but I think Rudy has kind of crossed the threshold into like the pantheon of like classic sports movies. Yeah. Uh for people. Um and there's been some great ones. I mean, and, and look at the, some of the people that made Rudy made Hoosiers, which is another classic sports yeah, basketball, movie. Basketball, right? With uh Gene Hackman and Dennis uh, Hopper. And Barbara Hershey, I think, yeah. is in that. And, uh, you know, you mentioned Major League, and then you get some of the more comedic ones, like Necessary Rough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, one, of, one of, a movie that I, I tend to watch, it's not on so much anymore, but uh, a movie that I'll watch every time it's on is uh, The Replacements, with has, which has Gene Hackman and, and uh, Keanu Reeves, yeah. the football movie. Um, and then there's the other one. What's the Denzel Washington? Uh, Remember the Titans? Remember the Titans from like 2000, which might be a Disney movie. That might be Miracles, another classic. Miracles, like, the I, hockey I movie. I love that movie. Yeah. It seems like there is a certain kind of um, uh, of uh, like cutout or, or, you know, like a, an arc or a template you can put on these movies, you know, that fit the story yeah. of, you know, underdog comes from nothing or whatever or strives to get to a certain place is told he can't do it sure and then or whatever they have to do the team is gonna you know even you go to like you know cool runnings or you know the even whatever sport you're talking about here yeah you know and there's and then you know then they're you don't think they're gonna pull it out and they're able to pull it out and they win and it's you know or even if they lose they win like rocky yeah <laughs> you know or, or, or you know like bad news bears bad news is bears another example great, yeah. of like you they know, don't win and i spoiler but they won you know it's 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 weird because growing up my father worked a lot so it's not like when, when he'd take me out we'd go to the movies and stuff but we never really went in the backyard and like you know played catch or anything and my mom wasn't you know so I, when i would go out and play with my friends they'd play i remember playing like uh, tag football or or football or baseball or you know more of like ball games like kickball or yeah. tennis you know th- we used to call it suicide where you'd throw it against the wall and then whoever caught it and throw it and if they dropped it they'd have to hit the wall first before they ran up or you, you know you can if you threw the ball at the wall and they, the ball got there before them did you can have them line up there and you can take shots at them you know <laughs> we yeah. call that suicide which is called different things as you go up and down the east coast I've learned but so for me you know, I never gravitated towards sports movies, but there's still so, like hockey. Um, I always wanted to go see like a Bruins game, you know, like like, and I always enjoyed going to like um, the Yale had the hockey arena, which is this, almost looks like a whale. It was this avant-garde thing this real famous uh, architect did, and I loved going to see hockey games there. My dad took me to a Yale bowl game to see the Yale football playing maybe Harvard. Uh, 
when I was really little, I remember we brought like a thermos and it was the coldest day on record, maybe even still to this date. And we went and it was such a good time. You know, you're standing up in the field. It's an old stadium, like arena. Yeah. You know, you're, you're in the stadium seating. So you're looking right down on wood. I remember like going to the bathroom was like, it wasn't even in like the arena. You'd have to leave the arena and cross into like, you know, into this, this thing. And it was just like, you're, pissing in like one of those fucking uh, gully what do you call those things with the yeah, ice the trough, trough. Yeah. and then you're like looking at the guy ahead of you who's <laughs> pissing in the trough on the other side like because you're facing people you're pissing into ice and it was like real old school yeah. you know it's like so there's all these great mo- memories of like playing baseball you know um, but I never gravitated I never had a favorite sports movie so much or I would you know watch sports movies uh, full disclosure this was my first time actually watching this all the way through oh, Rudy interesting. you know I've always heard about it my friend Chris this is his favorite movie of all time and I've always known it was the inspirational story and it wasn't a movie like again that I was not looking to not watch it was just like you know it just passed by yeah and then it didn't certainly if you when we live together if you're like hey let's watch Rudy like oh okay you know like like I think more of the comedy ones like the uh, you know Major League and stuff like that you know that I'm like oh okay but like this is more up my alley the Rudy's or the uh, you know Slapshot like I said is great and and, and that kind of a thing there's some pretty good uh I mean, I liked it. I don't know what the consensus is. Um, football movie that I think was made by Disney in the early 2000s called Invincible with Mark Wahlberg, which is kind yeah. of like the professional football version of Rudy, which is based on a guy who just lived in like South Philadelphia. Oh, I remember that. And yeah, yeah and well, just like pr- tried out. I remember when that came out. Walk and he, 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 he worked and he got on. And, yeah. Uh, that reminded me of Angels in the Outfield. There was a weird Roy Scheider movie that he was a fo- he was a baseball player. I remember that playing on like Disney Sunday Night Movie. It was like a probably a made for TV Disney movie, you know. But he was like a baseball player, and a kid had a wish with a ball or whatever. Yeah. But you know, I've always I've always loved these kind of films, and especially a movie like The Underdog Stories is really good. And then uh, my weird connection with football itself is that like I loved this Crunch Course tape. And I, for years, you know, I, I, I totally forgot about it until a couple months ago. And, um, I went back and I found, you know, we still have the tape. We still have it, the bought tape. So I went and watched it again. It's on YouTube. Now we can even include a link in this and it's so cool. And it's weird because at my day job, I do, um, television news, but then on Thursday started, they started doing Thursday night football. So I started doing that gig. So I was hanging out with Michael Strahan, um, Howie Long and Terry Bradshaw. And that's like huge for people. But yeah. to me, there's just, oh, you know, I don't, I'm not fan because I'm not a football fan. Yeah, yeah. So like when I met Terry Bradshaw, like I was like, I loved you in fucking, um, oh, why am I forgetting the name of the movie? Cannonball Run, you know? <laughs> He's yeah, like, thank yeah. you, you know? So I was like, yeah, well, then Howie Long was in that crunch course thing, yeah, yeah. you know? And I got f- friendly with him and he's really nice to the point where he sent me a Christmas card. And I was like, I got a fucking, so I, I, <laughs> I sent him a Christmas card right back. You know, I was like, I got a Christmas card from Howie Long. And like Strahan was, um, he's a big Michael Jackson fan, so we were talking Michael Jackson. But I don't know them from, you know, yeah. I know I know Howie Long, you know, you know them from commercials and Terry Bradshaw and you know I remember Howie Long is in he's in, the, in that um he's in that uh, uh, fucking uh, John Travolta movie where they're out the where they're out in the with uh, Christian Slater where they're out in the oh yeah he might be he's the he's one of the like he's the number he's the he number also two had a movie. I want to say it was called fire. collateral. Is not fire down below? Oh, maybe fire. He was where is the foot? Where is the in the in the forest fire? Right. Yeah, yeah. And is there's a forest fire around and all and that? They were, the the word was that they were going to make that in 3D, and then they decided not to oh, make that terrible. in 3D all of a sudden. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Maybe it was because even though I didn't watch sports, my brother and my dad were. I mean, we 
they were, they were Philadelphia fans, and they're notoriously the worst fans. <laughs> well, I know. But so like the Eagles and the Flyers and the, the Phillies, and my dad would take us to, to. I don't. I don't think I ever went to go see the Eagles, but uh, he took us to several Phillies games and uh, a lot of Flyers games growing up, and um, but. I just, you know, I was into watching movies. Like yeah. That was, I found that more interesting. Or, or television. But maybe it was because I also just played sport, you know, competitive sports my whole life that I just connected with sports movies because it was like melding sure. those two worlds. It was like, I love movies and I love playing sports. I don't necessarily love watching sports, but this is a way to watch sports and really just get, the all, best the of highlights. Ways. get, get all the highlights because they're not going to have the, the boring parts of the game. <laughs> but, it, but it was fun to have like guys like Jim Brown or people who made the crossover, you know, like uh, Dick Buckus, who was just in cameo and went Gremlins 2 at the beginning of the summer. Remember he was at the, yeah, yeah. he's at the, uh, the serve yourself cart and the Gremlin comes out of the M&Ms or something like that. Or even uh, Alex uh, Caracas, am I saying that right? Caras, who was Webster's dad. Uh-huh. You know, Papadopoulos, Mr. Papadopoulos. <laughs> it's like seeing these guys, and then you realize, oh, they, they had a different career. Even like Joe, Mont- uh, Joe Montana. Joe Montana. <laughs> you know, it's like you see these guys you know, but you don't realize they're from different, like, you know. And then for me, because my dad was such a diehard Yankees fan, I knew who, like, Thurman Munson was. Or, you know, growing up, I was left-handed, and Don Mattingly was left-handed, and he played first base. So I always wanted to be like Don Mattingly and have that wicked stash that Don <laughs> yeah. Mattingly had, you know. And then he, you know, and then he leaves, he shaves the mustache. I can't trust him anymore, you know. Uh, so it's just, it's, it's interesting the connection of seeing this and then again like the visuals of the I just think it's so cool looking to have like grainy footage gritty of the football players like yeah. and then rain snoot or snow and this this crunch course I keep bringing it up it's like you see it's film shot in slow motion and the hits these guys are taking it's freaking amazing it's almost like a ballet you see in the like now it's only in the past what 10 years or so they're all they're talking about all the damage that you know for like concussions and then you're not able to until someone dies they do a post-mortem you're able to fully see when they dissect the brain if they had injuries and you know there's a lot of research and people funding it and about special i met a, i met oh, i don't even remember the like football i'm so embarrassed i don't remember the football guy's name that came to, to my job that he had a new kind of helmet like a week ago and he was talking about it and um it's just amazing watching this 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 uh, Sports Illustrated video from uh, 35 years ago and seeing what it was like just back in the 80s or the 70s, how bad these guys were getting hit. And then you see the footage of them showing the guys back in the 50s when they were kind of like 40s and 50s when they're pioneering the sport. And you see they're not even wearing, they're just wearing like a leather sh- like yeah, hat. Leather heads. You know, and, and, and it was just this, this terrible... Uh, uh, ass kicking they would take that was just be it was just unbelievably ridiculous and they're like well you know that's that's the game and and then you know these guys would would have all kinds of problems when they were getting older because of of course the the body can't sustain all that kind of stuff yeah. you know it's it's fascinating but anyway yeah let's get Rudy. let's get to Rudy <laughs> uh, I don't know how should we tackle this should we tackle the movie should we talk about Rudy himself um, um it's a fascinating story. Of the making of the movie, yeah, uh, but the movie itself is a is a true story. Um, I mean, I guess you know, leading up to the making. So, uh, for those of you that haven't seen it, R- Rudy is based on a guy named Danny uh, Rudy. Daniel Rudy Rudiger. Rudiger, yeah. He grew up in 
Juliet. Yeah, Juliet, which is the same. We know the county, the city that's... Juliet Jake? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's where the prison is. Cook County, Juliet County Prison. Or Juliet uh, prison. Which, you know, was... Uh, you know, known for outside of Chicago, we should it's, say, yeah, it's, it's, in, it's in Illinois, outside of Chicago, and it's, you know, it's known for the prison. I guess it was known for its limestone quarries and for steel steel mill town. And it's the first you see the first shot in the movie. It's almost identical to the first shot of the Blues Brothers, and I, I would beg to v- uh, venture that that might even be the same steel mill stack you yeah. see. It's almost like you see at the beginning of like. You know, Deer Hunter in Cleveland with sure. the steel mills and all, and and that's very identifiable that these these kind of towns, these things are taking shape. Yeah, and well, these people, you know, you know we, we talk a lot about that in Slapshot. Yeah, they're the, that's a, the Rust Belt. Yeah, yeah, that's a, or that's even Christine, the, right? Maybe we talk about the the industry and you know, probably. Factory. I know we get really <laughs> into it in in uh, in yeah, in Slapshot, in Slapshot, because, it, because that, that's, that's part whole, of the story. That's yeah. part of the story is that yeah. like the mills closing or whatever. Yeah, but uh, there, you know, there there are. There are differences in Rudy's real life uh, and the movie. Um, the first of which is, and, and we'll pepper them in as, as we kind of get to them, but the first of which is that Rudy didn't have any older brothers. In no. the movie, he has like a condescending older brother that's kind of the antagonist who's always like, you can't do that, you know. And uh, But Rudy was he's quite the, mean, that guy. <clears throat> was the oldest of 14 kids. Well, he's the th- I thought he's the third of 14 children. Not according to my research. Oh, okay. According to mine, he was the third <laughs> of 14. According to a documentary about Rudy, he was the oldest of 14 kids. But yeah. so, but there's actually like a lot but of that's weird- That's a lot of fucking- A lot you know. of weird discrepancies. Um, <clears throat> maybe he was the oldest boy. Oh, that could be right. Yeah. But, uh, and, and, you know, his dad loved Notre Dame. And so, and so Rudy- uh, always fantasized that he would one day go to Notre Dame and play for Notre Dame, but he was not gifted with uh, the body of uh, a football player, which was, he was something like 5'6 or 5'7. Yeah. Um, and uh, just not a big guy. And they were not uh, wealthy, and he wasn't particularly uh, he didn't have good grades. Later, he it was he was diagnosed as having dis- he was be- as being dyslexic. Uh, so he had a learning disorder, but you know that they didn't worry about that back then. No, I mean, <laughs> you know, they didn't diagnose those kinds of things. You think about if growing up. if they're working class and the dad. You think about what the, the hours the dads work and mom. I don't know if mom's a stay at home mom, but if dad's out working at the mill or wherever he was working and he, they've got fourteen kids, he has fourteen mouths to feed. Actually, sixteen count himself and his wife that is i mean and he, it's always funny that you always like that will make it work but like i'm working 60 80 hours a week and i can barely afford <laughs> so you think about this you know yeah the strain that was under so you know dad wasn't around much but then when he was home around you know that's what they would do they'd watch the sporting events together they watch the notre dame games you know and uh something else that's not in the movie is that rudy actually went into the navy yeah uh because it was vietnam and it's it's Instead of being drafted, he joined the Navy. Yeah. And uh, by that point, he had kind of given up on that dream of uh, going to Notre Dame. But apparently there was, while he was in the Navy, there was a lieutenant commander in the, in the Navy that had a Notre Dame ring. And Rudy, having always wanted to, to go there as a kid, said to him, hey, man, how do I, uh, how do I get one of those? 
and the lieutenant said, "Well, you study, you study hard. Yeah. And if you really want to go, you'll 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 find a way to go." And that kind of rekindled his interest in going. He felt that like that was a little bit of encouraging. And when he got out of the navy, he, I think he ended up serving as a yeoman. Uh, but eventually, when he got out of the navy, he got a job uh, in a power plant. So you think about he's graduated high school. Yeah, I mean, before he, and in the navy. That's one of the things that, <laughs> that's not not like really uh, accentuate, really discussed too much in the movie is that he was older. Yeah. I mean, by the time he got into Notre Dame, he was like seven or eight years older than everybody else. Yeah, because he's put foreign in the Navy. He didn't re-enlist to go back in. And then, he, and then here he's at least two years at a, a local power plant. So that's six years out of high school. And then he's trying to get in. I mean, what is it? They said something like he was, he was, he was uh, denied like 50 times, something ridiculous amount of times but then he started going to holy cross yeah well before the, we see in the movie there's this dramatization where he's working in it doesn't look like a power plant it looks like some kind of steel mill i think he's looking at he's like working his dad <laughs> the, the mill that the family works in and that like his best friend dies in an accident yeah um <clears throat> now this is another thing that's online you hear rudy tell the story and then you see discrepancies in interviews with rudy i i i I suspect rudy has since become after all this in recent times and now he's a motivational speaker yeah so i think that possibly rudy's story has been embellished sure because that of legends (laughs) to be you know to become uh he's been fine-tuning the story because rudy did have a friend who died and it was that was like the inciting incident where Rudy was like, life's too short. Yeah. I need to, I should pursue my dreams. Now, <clears throat> Rudy tells a story that in real life, that it was at work in the power plant or some kind of conveyor belt, blah, blah, blah. And it was a horrible accident. And this guy died. And Rudy was the guy that like turned off the machine and the guy died. I saw online, there's some other story that his friend died in a car accident. Mm. And then that was what motivated him. So there's a lot of whatever day. <laughs> there's a lot of discrepancies going on. Yeah, um, but, but he, nonetheless, Rudy, the uh, a friend of Rudy's dies, and it makes him decide that he wants to pursue this dream. And not having the grades, um, he goes. He ends up going to Holy Cross, and where he meets a uh, brother, John Driscoll, and he tells uh, this uh, clergyman that what his dream is and uh brother john driscoll says if you go here for four semesters meaning uh holy cross junior college go here for four semesters you put in four semesters here and then i'll recommend you if you keep the gpa right yeah if you get the grades grades, you know and everything and so every semester rudy would apply and he'd always get rejected and uh brother driscoll would be like Brother Driscoll. Father. Would be, uh, he he calls him Brother Driscoll. Um, I told you four semesters. (laughs) Yeah. You know, so, you know, and he he was failing in the beginning. He failed his first four tests. And uh, he told uh, the father or or brother that uh, what happened. And he's like, that's okay. And he's like, but I'm I'm too old. Like, I can't. 
It like, becomes like a mind game. Yeah, it's like well, like I'm, I'm too old. I my my time is limited. And in the movie, this is uh, Robert Prosky plays him, the great Robert Prosky, yeah. who's you know one of my favorite actors. And we and uh, Christine, and, and we talk about him often. Christine, he was also recently in, in the Gremlins two episode. Oh we yeah, talk about. He's, he's Al Lewis, <laughs> <laughs> Robert Prosky, and uh, not to be confused with Robert's blo- uh, Robert's. Blossoms, Robert's Blossom, <laughs> and so there's all, and there's also another aspect of the movie which is, it has to do with the Navy. Was that like, I don't think he had to really worry about tuition because it was covered under the his, the GI Bill. Yeah. So uh, Holy Cross and then Notre Dame was so tuition. He was probably hard up for money for living purposes but he didn't but the paying the tuition wasn't that uh as they dramatize well you know it is a good exercise to look at the for the need of there's one thing to embellish something for a movie but then there's another thing to like try to understand the idea of what takes for a dramatization of a story sure so So why you're having you said you're inventing the older brother why you're condensing this why you're taking the navy out i mean they say that the astute eye will notice that he is walking around with a naval duffel bag, and yeah, on yeah. it it does say U.S. U.S.N. Supposed to be you know United States Navy, yeah. so that would imply that maybe he got it either at an Army Navy store or <laughs> you know. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, the, for instance, the creation of of, a, of an antagonistic older brother, um, you know, it, to, I think to the writer and Rudy and everybody that was just like a, a composite, a culmination of. He was. They they couldn't have everybody be like Rudy. You can't do this. So they had to, you know, filter it into one character. Well, the family was like, you know, we get the great Ned Beatty, uh, who I feel like was just on the podcast as well. Superman two. Superman two. There we go. Ding ding ding. He's in it as Rudy's father in it, and you get that kind of. Everyone's kind of down on Rudy. Even when, even when the dad, like at, at the beginning there, when even the dad is like, you know, Rudy. Your, your head's in the clouds. You're a Yeah, you know, he's like, you know. And apparently his dad in real life was very supportive. Yeah. But realistic. Yeah. You know, his dad, like any father, and yeah. probably especially a father of that generation, like all you really want is like security, you know, like, so get a job, you know, you get a good retirement, you know, you want, you want your kids to be... To, to be secure. And this is the issue we, well, 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 the topic we talk a lot about in recent years here where the our generation of people younger than us, it's that idea where, you know, there's people aren't happy. They're, everyone's looking for, I'm special, you know, I need to be the one in life, you know. So people nowadays seem to be not happy with just taking older generations were like that. If you get a job in the mill, you get a, you know, like you said, you get a pension, you get benefits, that's all you really need, you know, and the real, the realistic of that, like, you know, like Ned Beatty saying, where else are you going to get a job that's going to pay that much? It's going to give you all this stuff. You know, you want to settle down, you're not a young kid. So it's, it's the idea where in the old days, if you got a job on the railroad, if you got a job as a cop or a fireman or electrician or a plumber or whatever vocation it is, you know, it's, it's a good job. You're, it's, you know, better to be working. You could support your family. And yeah. who cares what you're doing as long as you take pride in what you're doing and you come home and you can put food on the table and love and support your family, then that's the pleasure you're going to get out of life. And that's what the meaning of your life is. Yeah. Which is kind of like Rudy. It's odd because since I haven't seen this movie, you seeing it for the first time, <clears throat> it's interesting to see how everything's portrayed because, um, look, I'm the last guy to, to criticize any movie, you know, uh, uh, you know it, but it, it's almost to me like 
they they act. He's it's almost like he's on the spectrum in this movie. Like he's got this such a singular view of what he wants to do. Yeah, even to the point where he's like not even you know he leaves the girlfriend home. He goes you know it's like this is what he needs to do. This is how he needs. This is all his life is after this. He there's no point in life. Or it's just like it, it's almost it's weird how it's portrayed. You know, it's just yeah. you know he has to. Uh, you know he's he's sleeping in the in in uh, what Charles Dutton's plate. You know it's like it's he's no matter what's happening. You know he's not even going to eat if it. Ma- you know he just you know it's just you know it's just he's got this and it's it's almost it's it's almost an obsession. You know, but it's not treated as an unhealthy obsession. But you can easily view this from the other side of it. That I mean, it's I a very it, unhealthy. It's, it's it is from his family's point of view i think considered a and, bit unhealthy you know it's the, the sad thing is you always think about like oh you know you had to take a risk if you don't take a risk you're not going to yeah. get anywhere and then you always hear from whoever you talk to or the stories you read or the movies you see that the risks paid off but you never hear about those guys who took those risks and then it just spoiled disastrously <laughs> you know which I mean? are probably the majority exactly of them. you know so it's like you see those people who did take that risk they they took a second mortgage out on their house to try the business for the tanning salon or well, whatever the I hell mean, you know Ned Beatty's character says the Basically, kind of oh, about the father. Talks about his father, the the farmer. Yeah, and how his dad, you know, the cows and bought a plot of land and bought a hundred cows and depression, and then they all died. Yeah, out of some sort of sickness. And and I think that's an also that's also you know we're young enough that our parents, um, you know, they're like the baby boomers, but you know, like Rudy's dad. Yeah, grew up during the depression. Yeah, so there's a very different after the First World War, and then there's yeah. a very big, there's a very different mindset. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and we're young enough and old enough to have a connection to those people because those were our grandparents. <laughs> yeah. So it's so it's interesting that like that would happen. There's people who would try to take like let's let's move out and become a farmer like um, Green Acres, but then not even that they're not uh, savvy with a green thumb, but something would happen. And, like, you know, if, if all your livestock dies of some illness or, or disease or something, you get a bad season of crop or something, or, you know, you're not able, something happens, you're not able to get this or that out, you know, that can completely devastate you, you know, for a year or two. And that, yeah. that's really hard. And that's something that can ruin, if you've got a couple mortgages out on your house already to get this dream to go through, or there's people who now, all these businesses that are popping up, People are starting their own businesses, whatever, and you think about them trying to get a business off the ground, and there's these success sure. stories that do work. But, you know, just saying that, like, Rudy's dad would have had a very different stance. Sure. Much more like what Dion was talking about of, like, you know, what we talked about earlier, which is just, like, job security, provide. Realistic. The realistic you know, goals. Um, but Rudy wanted to go, and, like I said, and in, and in real life, like you said, it wasn't like he wasn't as... Like he had, the, he had a dream, and he was obviously focused, and and was, and and focused enough to to uh, see it through, and work at it, and be persistent, and persevere. But he had times where it kind of wavered, like when he went into the navy, and, yeah. and then would have these things that would happen that would kind of spark uh, his interest to want to pursue the dream. And even like you said, more. going into the navy was him. He didn't want to wait to be drafted, and he was the you know the patriotic American who's like, I'm going to like World War Two. You saw everyone then. Yeah, I'm going to go and step up and serve and enlist. And he did his four years. He didn't need to. They didn't you know um, keep him for another four. He didn't re-enlist and become a career guy. So I'm sure right out of high school that was the thing to do. You know, like, you yeah, know, I get to see the world. You know, my and, best friend did that. You know, you, you know, get to go. And, and like when he went to. Uh, 
you know, uh, with to join, you know, he went and he said to the guys, like, I want to join the Navy, but uh, like, I'm not, I'm not smart. My, my grades weren't good. And the guy was like, look, as long as you, you know, if you can make your bed yeah. <laughs> and you can work hard and, and blah, 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 like you could, like you can do it. And like, then you, the, and you'll be, you know, you'll, you'll be, uh, able to contribute and be uh, you know a full contributor and wasn't it the, him where he was so good at doing just those tasks that his that his uh, i don't know what the what the head officer the oc would say over the to him but it was just like he wasn't it was that the story i might make some life up where it's like the guy <laughs> said like you know if i had half as many people that had the dedication of just doing everything right he would do was the attention to detail make sure that he would make sure the bed was yeah. You know, made in such a way. There's a certain way of making the bed in the military, and you know, you got to do it the right way. The creases, the certain way, or the inches off the thing, or this and that. He was all a, a very attention minded, and then, well, like you I said, think, he worked his way up to know, a yeoman. I, I think that's it's a certain kind of person that uh, is a, takes attention to detail, but also because they know they lack in other areas. That the areas that they know that they can excel in, uh, and that they have control over. You know, they work really hard to be, like, the best that they can. Like, I was, you know, in, you know, in a way, like, Rudy sports-wise, like, I was never, I was, I was decent. I was athletic. Um, you know, I was good enough to become, like, the assistant captain of my uh, high school hockey team. But that came less from talent and more from hustle. Ambition. And heart. And and trying and so, uh, I can re- I maybe that's why I relate to those these kinds of sports stories also because it's like I was never the most talented guy on the team yeah but I worked harder than everybody else on the team you know when you went to see uh, Memento that day and I went to see uh, Blow Blow yeah we, we both went to two different movies uh, I've only seen that movie once Blow but I remember the last line in the movie was when he's walking around the prison. Uh, John, Johnny Depp, he, he, he quotes a line. He says, my ambition far exceeded my, uh, <laughs> I forgot. I just had it in my, my talent. My, my, my ambitions far exceeded my talent. You know, and I feel like that with me sometimes. I'm so fucking ambitious, but then I don't know if I have the talent. And so it's, I think you're, you're, like you're saying here that it's, that, that if you're just, if you try to concentrate really good and put in as, uh, what you know you're good at, you know, Rudy being dyslexic—that's a—that's a fight trying to figure out. Uh, the, and that's even back when you said they didn't even probably didn't even have a name for the disease, and if they did, no one knew what the hell it was yeah. or the disabled the disability. So for him to get out and then be like, "This is what I want," and then it's the idea of also like the, um, you know, I Notre Dame even in Connecticut was a big thing. There was there's a, I feel like there's a Notre Dame high school every in every state or every town. And my parents were like when I was getting ready to go to high school, do you want to go to Notre Dame? And I was like, I don't really they were trying to push me to go towards Notre Dame. And that might have even been like a tuition based and you know, you might have to wear a uniform, I think it was. And I was like, I don't want to I want to go to public high school with my friends. My friends were all going to I was in Catholic parochial school for the first five or six grades in my life and I wanted to go I'm in I'm in public school now, you know. So yeah. Um, it, it, for a lot of people too, if you if that, especially back in the '60s and '70s, that you know, this is you, you having a kinship to your team. Your team is this team. Your team is that team. You know, and then you're all you know. Uh, it's a life where that's where you're. If you're living this, not a mundane existence, but you're living this day in and day out. It's nice to be able to have that. Uh, that weekend where you can watch your team sit down and, and enjoy that with your family, and it seems like this was a big bonding experience with the family. You'd be able to sit down with dad 
this is the one of the only times dad is home and you're able to watch these Notre Dame games you know and yeah. uh, and tra- track the uh, college football but while at uh, Holy Cross uh, Rudy spent a lot of time on Notre Dame campus kind of like he is presented in the movie um, he even boxed mm. for Notre Dame apparently even for like at least a year not as a student <laughs> like at, like while at Holy Cross I think he might have even boxed at Notre Dame just to get out some of the energy <laughs> um, but he was and people loved seeing him because he was having been in the Navy and having played football and everything like you know he would just like run right at the guy there was no like pussy footing around um, but he was very active and and and, and uh it became pretty known on campus because he was very outgoing and he would talk to people and he would go to like the admissions office to get to know the people in the admissions office and and uh but you see that in the movie where yeah he's introducing himself you see like, that and he's introduced himself and like he even goes to the coach yeah and so well, just see, like, this is more of the, like i said it's like in the movie it's almost like he's on this like the spectrum he's coming yeah, in, like yeah. oh i'm gonna be in your team <laughs> yeah. you, know, you don't know and they're like okay that's all right just let him out of the let him but, out of the you office. know even that was uh you know somewhat uh, a realistic representation apparently of yeah. what, what he was like and he introduced himself to the coach which ended up helping later he says in real life ended up helping him later when he did try out because the coach remembered yeah, he remembered knew, yeah. him from then um, and so uh, eventually he manages to get his keep his grades up and, and at just like the priest uh, said after four semesters after two years of being at junior college uh, he did. He finally got accepted. Yeah. I mean, they said they, they do say that like he got rejected like fifty times. I don't know because you could only get you could only apply every semester. So, <laughs> like, I think that must be an exaggeration. Yeah, I guess if he's only serving four semesters and then it's serving. If he's only, I mean, maybe he applied when he was in high school too. But no, that would uh, be. Yeah. I so I can't imagine that he that. I mean, in the movie, it's represented three times. I think he gets rejected in the movie. Well, maybe he's able to. Maybe he's able to. Maybe he's even applying for semesters he's not going, like the summer course. You know, maybe he's trying oh, to maybe. get in. But that would even still only add up to like a baker's dozen. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the Dennis D. Bob character that John Favreau plays, yeah, um, Rudy's real best friend, who he met at. Who met there is named Dennis, and his nickname is D Bob. But the character, as portrayed in the movie, they say is a bit of an- another like composite culmination of like a Tudor character. There was many people that were supportive, and f- and he became friends with. Same with uh, the Charles S. Dutton character, yeah, of uh, Fortune, yeah. Like there was no actual character, yeah. that he represents, but he represented everybody that was supportive Man. of him. Yeah, I tell you, there's. Two times this movie, I saw crying that that Charles Dutton story when he's talking about I was there, you know his story, <laughs> and then I'll, I'll, we'll talk about it later on. Uh, I guess we've already talked about it. It's when he goes into the steel mill and shows his dad that Ned Beatty that that he was accepted because all these all the whole movie it's put out like oh you know he's one of many kids and you're, they're kind of like uh, humoring him. Yeah, but it kind of changes it because even the older brother has kind of got the dad's ear. And the older brother's almost saying it out of animosity, almost. Like, yeah, the older well, there's, brothers there's, there's this aspect of, like, uh, you know? of childhood. It's hard to keep track of who all the kids are yeah. as as adult characters, um, at least for me as a viewer. But I feel like there's this moment when they're kids where he, the brother has dreams of just, like, leaving town. Yeah. And 
going off and being on his own. Yeah. And clearly that doesn't work out. So he's got his own chip on his shoulder. Sure. And so... Yeah, which they do... Yeah, you're right. Which they do exploit in the movie. They say, like, he's kind of... He had this... Wanted to go, like, home. And, well, that was a lot of the other, the other side of the 50s. You know, like, you'd see in all those teen movies. You get on a motorcycle and run or they want to get away, you know, and, and leave their one street town, their one stoplight town. So you're right. When he's not able to, it then just builds into resentment. And then maybe that's another driving force of, in the movie, at least. Yeah. This character trying to subdue uh, or, or push down Rudy. But then when he shows his dad in the steel mill and like his dad realizes and it's like it's almost like a turn of the hat where yeah. his dad is but like then they even leave then even after that and he make when he finally makes the team his brother's like well i don't see you on the bench yeah I know. <laughs> come on it's like what the <laughs> fuck you want me to do i'll send a selfie of, you on the, of me on the bench let me just uh you know but uh you know he was very active on notre dame campus kind of you know it is represented probably not in exactly the same way that it happened but uh there are like we said there's different i said there's differences and we and we even already discussed a lot of them, but uh, supposedly so much of it does seem pretty representative of his actual uh, story. Yeah, um, you know, I don't know about like wanting to be on the football booster club, but like I said, he boxed and he was active, and, and people knew him. And, and he even jokes that like, you know, they only really let like the dean only they only accepted it because just so that he wouldn't come around anymore. <laughs> Which, hey, that shows your perseverance, right? <laughs> like, they, they wouldn't bug him. Uh, they wouldn't, he wouldn't come around and bug them anymore. So he finally gets into Notre Dame. And even at, at while at Notre Dame, um, like I said, you know, I guess the GI Bill would have covered his tuition. But, um, you know, he didn't live, you know, he wasn't, like, homeless and living, like, in, in the, the groundskeeper quarters. But he did have an apartment. He's not Scorpio from Die Hard, Dirty Harry. He per- uh, apparently, for insurance purposes back then, because they didn't want to hire security guards for whatever reason, somebody needed to be in the sports center, like gym, twenty four. Somebody there had to be someone there for like twenty four hours. Sure, they could never be completely empty. So there were certain buildings uh, where they had an apartment, yeah, so that somebody would actually sleep there. And so uh, Rudy slept in like the sports center gym, where like the basketball, like the Notre Dame basketball court was and sure. probably like the weight room and stuff and so he had an apartment in there and so he lived there I'm sure the ladies love that like you want to go back and <laughs> check out the and uh he did have jobs on campus like apparently there's a, a famous uh sports illustrated um cover yeah where it's a basketball cover and like one of the notre dame guys is like you know jamming the basketball and in between his legs sitting on the floor by the by the the, the net the pole of the net is rudy Rudiger. Sitting there because his job was uh, so that he could see the games and and also for, I guess for spending money uh, when the when games would stop, you know the floor would be always would get wet from sweat and he would come out and like mop the floor. <laughs> He's like the ball boy in a tennis. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah. he would like sit on the floor, ready to go, ready to go. And so you, so he did have these kinds of jobs and it stayed active in the, in the sports and uh, of Notre Dame and and just. Uh, life of Notre Dame uh, being a Notre Dame student and so he tries out uh, walk-ons apparently were always in in college sports uh, especially football looked down upon but the um, the coach of Notre Dame uh, always gave a fair shot to uh, walk-ons which is pretty amazing I uh, think that uh, you know that you have that because then you're able to actually try to try out and give it the best shot. It's almost like taking 
you know, someone. It's like yeah. having to try because that because we've already established with him being five six and like one hundred and sixty pounds or whatever, there was hardly a chance of him being able to to be physically fit and ready to go try out for the football team. So um, I don't know if this was a uh, a seldom thing done. Was it was Notre Dame one of the only people that to, to do this, or was it? I don't every, know. They do make a point in research that like uh, Coach Barsegian. Like he did give them a fair sh- chance, yeah. but the, it's also said that like other stu- other other players didn't uh, you know kind of treated them kind of sure. shitty, um, and they also certainly weren't well, it's like pro- a, priority. It's, it's like us being film majors, then like some non-film major coming in, we're like you know we put the work in here, you know. <laughs> yeah, and of course, uh, Coach Barsigian is uh, uh, played by the great Jason Miller. Yeah. I looked, I was like, I know him, and he's he's great in this. He's such a good, he's like a, you know, it looks like they hired a real football, it looked like they hired Lou Holtz, you, yeah. know, you know, in their, uh, to, 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 you know, he's unrecognizable in the sense of I I thought he was, you know, a real uh, coach. Yeah, and, and apparently, you know, around this time, I mean, he's best known, I think, f- to, to at least people of our generation as he's uh, Father Karras and the, uh, Exorcist, the Exorcist. Yeah. Um, an Exorcist three, and he's an Exorcist three. Now, I, I recently did a, an episode of Twenty Six Movies from Hell uh, as a guest, and we talked about Exorcist three. And in researching that movie, which was made in the no- early nineties, um, apparently he had a very bad alcohol problem, which is why in Exorcist three, Brad Dora for Dreef dubs him. Uh, they cut to him because. His alcoholism was had, was so bad and had been so bad for so long that he couldn't memorize oh, the, wow. the monologue. Yeah. Um, so, but this is around that time, and he does a great job. Yeah. Here, I mean, he's only got a, a, a he doesn't limited have a amount huge, of scenes, a huge part, but, but it looks good. And, yeah. Um, and they shoot it. it with, I've come to realize is that you know they shoot it around the, the Chicago area I guess and there's this Chicago troop of actors that I'm starting to see all the time um, I'm a big above the law fan with Steven Seagal and in that you have um, uh, Chelsea Ross who and then ends up be playing coach uh, Dean uh, Dan Devine who comes in yeah uh, he's, he's I always a major league yeah I always, a lot of stuff that guy yeah I always see him in a lot of Chicago stuff uh, this guy Ron Dean who is the assistant coach who's the one who wants to like take the chance to get him on the team he's in a bunch of stuff he's like in the fugitive he's in above the law as yeah, well yeah. he's in a, and then uh also in <clears throat> i think he may be in the there's another movie well, there's the untouchables the the brian de palma movie and there's a guy joe greco greco in it and he's in that movie he's the guy that that in the big staircase scene he's shooting the thompson gets shot through the neck he's also in above the law he's the priest that ends up the the, the you know, uh, Steven Seagal's church gets bombed and he has to carry the priest out. And he's in a lot of Chicago movies. So it seems like there's this troop of actors when you go to Chicago and you shoot around because The Fugitive, these guys are all in The Fugitive. And I, that, I feel like that was around, wasn't that in Chicago? I feel like Maybe. there's, you know, <laughs> so I feel like there's a, the isn't there's a scene where it's like St. Patrick's Day in the, in the Chicago and the, it, I think the water's green, you know, and they're running. Yeah. And, you know, but it's all, the, you know, it's, I, I never thought of it that like you know that there's a troop of Chicago actors that that aren't associated with like the Steppenwolf Theater. Then like so I only see them in Chicago based movies like you know especially this um this Ron this Ron Dean. Ron. I'm like, yeah, used to be Sasso, used to be Ron. But it's so funny seeing these guys. I'm like, oh, it's the guy from Above the Law, or oh, it's the guy from um 
from uh, freaking uh, The Fugitive. Uh, but uh, he's good in this. Like, uh, um, uh, Kelsey Ross is awesome. I love him. I love him in Above the Law, and I love him in He's Great as Coach uh, Divine. Now, there's a rub here where I guess Divine wasn't as... Um, you had to have some, set up somebody as the antagonist. There was another, it's another <clears throat> you know, instance where they needed... Inaccuracy. They needed... Uh, it's the dramatization. Yeah, they needed conflict. Yeah. And so Coach mm-hmm. Devine apparently was very supportive. Um, uh, apparently Parsigian had promised Rudy that he would dress for a game. Um, but when Parsigian left and they brought in uh, Coach Devine, there was also a change in rules that only 60 players could dress for the games. You know. And there was something like... Like oh, like ninety something players on the team because Rudy was really not he wasn't in the he wasn't on the team that played but he was like in the training team so like you see in the movie that it's like the team that they always play against and scrimmages for to to run plays and and stuff and you know Rudy says in real life he's like you know some some football players you know they go the whole life and they never they never get to play against Notre Dame. He's like, but I got to play against Notre Dame every day. That's a fair <laughs> point. Yeah. Um, but so apparently Coach Devine was was supportive and supportive of Rudy and, and told Rudy several days before the game in practice that he was going to dress for that game. And in the movie, it's it's kind of suggested that it's the last game of the season. Yeah. But it turns out it was it's really the la- it was the last home game. Yeah. In reality. And this dead- which meant that it would have been Rudy's last chance to play cuz he didn't travel with the team. Yeah. So it, but uh uh coach Devine in the movie kind of is like this and this is the last time you guys are going to suit up. But the rest of the team would have suited up another three times or something like yeah. that. Um, but then this jersey scene didn't end up actually happening. But it and also, that's the rub that got Divine pissed. He's like, this, not only this didn't happen, if, any, if this had, had happened, we would have dismissed everybody. You know, <laughs> And he's right. You know, Everybody involved, would have took, they would have kicked him off the team. Yeah, and this was another kind of uh, creative license by Angelo uh, Pizzo, the, uh, Angelo Pizzo, the writer. Who's connected to Hoosiers all as well. Who's connected to Hoosier. With we'll, the director, we'll, yeah. we'll definitely get a little more into that. But that was another, you know, he needed, a, for dramatic purposes, needed a scene yeah. to, you know, uh, represent, like, this well, you support know, of the team. and Even though it's true, the events, it is a great dramatic twist to have uh, Parsini, Parsini, Persigian, Persigian, yeah, Persigian. When he gets dismissed or he leaves, Jason, Jason Miller, yeah, and then you have uh, um, Kelsey Ross come in, Divine. It's a great because you said he was Rudy was Rudy was promised he would you know he could suit he can dress and you know sit on the bench and he's got to what do one to to technically qualify to say you played on the team you have to play a play right. You have to be involved in a play on the field. Yeah. So to actually, they get on the books of yeah. like the historic document yeah. of, of <laughs> having been on the team. The uh, historical, what is it called? <laughs> the historical document. Yes. Um, so this twist, which has actually happened, is having Divine come in, and then you know, in the movie, setting it up like he's a he's a tough ass. He's all business. You know. To the point now, everyone's you know Rudy's not not only is Rudy a great guy, he's won everybody over. Everybody's rooting for him. Everyone's like he's the real good work. Rudy picking him up when he's flattened like a pancake. Yeah, yeah. Even the black guy who was the other assistant coach who was telling uh, my man from Chicago before uh, Ron Dean used to be Sasso. <laughs> <laughs> Ron, Ron used to be Ron. Even he's saying like you know you know you 
that's your that's your pick. You 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 know you do it. Um, even him at the end is like you know go Rudy. So it's like you know everyone's fucking with Rudy. Even like the cleaners are like yeah. Hey, I mean Charles S. Dutton's in there, and we talked about Charles S. Dutton because I brought him up because he's in Cat's Eye. He's got he an incredible role. Eye. Yeah, and I would Frenchie. like to, I would like to talk about more about uh, Charles both, both uh, Sean Astin and yeah. Charles S. Dutton because they both have fascinating stories. But uh, what, but you know so but, I'm sorry. So it's a great twist. Yeah. That, uh, even though it really that really did happen. To add the the, uh, the the plot twist and add a little tension, now there's a chance Rudy may not be able to play because, the, you know, this guy, Divine, is a hard-ass, a stickler, and he's coming in. What was he, the ex-Green Bay Packers coach coming yeah. in? You know, and he's and he's kind of giving everybody a problem to lead to this where people, like, you know, the captain comes in and says, you know, I'm not going to play today. You can let Rudy yeah. play. And he's like, I'm what the? I'm Spartacus. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I am Spartacus. I am Spartacus. You know, everybody turns into, what's his face from um, from um, Newark? Um, so, anyway. Um, so, in real life, Rudy gets to play this la- the, his game. Yeah. Which is uh, against Georgia, uh, Georgia Tech, yeah. which took place on November 8th. 1975. So, uh, right just before, just for celebrating an anniversary of that game. Yeah, like we were right just now. celebrating the anniversary of Sesame Street last week. We're celebrating the, the we're celebrating the anniversary of Georgia Tech versus Notre Dame <laughs> game from uh, 45 years ago. And so Rudy, uh, Rudy gets put in at the end of the game, and it was true, apparently that uh, they were on offense, and the, and they were they could. The plan was to let the clock run down, but the team did say, uh, no, we have to score because if we don't score, Rudy's not going to get on the field. As well as um, Rudy excelled in tackling. He was a great, wasn't he a great tackler? And, and, and people used to say, you know, when he was playing on the team, yeah. that he was really, really good at, uh, you know, in the practice squads about developing this tackling so that, you know, this lends to this last bit here, which is this amazing true seven seconds that changed yeah, yeah, his life forever. I think in total, he gets like something like twenty-seven seconds of actual gameplay. I think he in real life maybe pl- plays like three, gets to play three plays. Um, apparently, there, it is a little bit realistic where he did the one play and then he was going to come off. They're like, "No, stay on, stay on." <laughs> yeah. um, and I, I believe he did have a tackle. Uh, where it starts to kind of uh, reality and the movie kind of diverge a little bit was. Um, People did chant Rudy's name, but it wasn't before he went on. It was like at the end of the game. Well, it's amazing or in the while, movie. Or while he was playing. It starts on the field with the, with the, the players. The players yeah. And then it gets back to the to the players on the sidelines, to the people who were in the first row and the cheerleaders, and then it just works around. It's almost like the wave. And I was thinking, you know, back in the day, prior to cell phones, prior to all that kind of a thing, I wonder how in a stadium situation, if that was an actual statistic that if everyone's chanting something that everyone agrees with, if it would eventually catch like wildfire and in like five minutes it would go around like a yeah, wave. Tr- I mean, you know I'm sure I mean? it happens. I've, I've, when I lived in Porchester, uh, one of my roommates was very into professional wrestling. Oh, yes, he was. And so Nuvian, huh? we went to a handful of live WWE events nice. uh, together, one of which was like a SummerSlam. Nice. Uh, we went to saw Raw Monday once. Night Raw. And, uh, what years are we talking for all those wrestling fans out there? I completely remember. It was early. What, year, it was did, early what year did we live together? You and I lived together from 2004. 
2005 second to 2006. Time. The second time we lived together. 2005, 2006. So it was before that. So it was between 2001 and 2005. Five, yeah. You lived in Port Chester. Yeah. In, in the old apartment above the veterinarian <laughs> hospital. 19 North Regent Street. Yeah, for anybody who wants to know. <laughs> Go take a look at it. Right near the Capitol Theater, which is having a great revival on Westchester Avenue. But we digress. But I would try Las to... Las Breezes. I would try to... Go a lot, shout out <laughs> to Las Breezes. Hashtag Las Breezes. Uh, all those I would try people. to get Chance going. Yeah. Um, oh, you would try to get the people uh, in the yeah. crowd? And I would get like some people in my area. Like Undertaker, Undertaker, Undertaker. It would be... Um, at that time, there was a female wrestler named Trish Stratus. Yeah. And I would try to get going Trish the Dish. <laughs> Trish the dish. Would it people pick it up? Some, some drunk people, guy next to you. Some people in our, in our section would pick it up. Take off your top. No, but, it's Trish the dish. But it did. But as being someone that was did go to a few of these things, you would see that it, somebody would start it and it would go like it. It did. But in real life with Rudy, apparently it didn't yeah. take off for the whole. There was a very small section of the... Yeah, not the whole arena. <laughs> ...of the stadium, that uh, of the crowd, that did chant Rudy. But there was a chant. But I'll tell you, in this movie, man, even like this, they've been chanting something for a couple minutes. <laughs> I've been finally able to saying Rudy. <laughs> so it's like, you know, you're really like, fucking Rudy at home. Yeah, like, yeah. Rudy, Rudy. Uh, and so, it's so... I'm sorry, I, can't, I keep cutting you off, but it's how... You know, also, I think Ned Beatty plays the character so well, him and his wife. They play that, you know, they're getting off the bus... You know, it's just it's just like my parents, except my dad's really aggressive and mean. You know, but it's like you know they're trying to find their seats, and then when he gets in there, and then they start saying Rudy. I'm I'm, I'm almost tearing up now that yeah, they're like yeah. they're like that they're saying Rudy Rudy. You know, it's like there's it's it's all coming around to their son. It's just so yeah. fucking nice. I do like, find it. I don't find it. I don't believe that Rudy's family would have called him Rudy. No. <laughs> I agree with you. <laughs> that, that probably, Full disclosure, that, I agree with you. They probably did. It was probably came out of a sports thing. Yeah. Where he got called Rudy. They're just Rudiker. Um, Baker. But they were all Rudy. Yeah. Uh, we were all Rudy. So he was probably like Danny. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Realistically within the house. Dan, but, the only one's like, Danny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and they did carry Rudy off the field. The first time ever. And then of as of the movie coming out, it was the only time. That someone had ever been carried off the Notre Dame field until uh, I think it was two th- like a couple years after the movie came out, maybe in 2000, 1995, I'm sorry. Uh, Mark Edwards was the second person in Notre Dame history to be carried off the uh, the field. So in the whole history of Notre Dame, only two people have ever been carried off the field: Rudy in 1975, and then Mark Edwards in 1995. And this movie is because the movie came out a couple years. They're before. like, "Fuck it, we got riled up, you know that." <laughs> Let's do a Rudy. Yeah, and we <laughs> said before that the other movie, um, uh, Newt Rockney, All American from 1940, which is Pat O'Brien, who we love playing the role of Newt Rockney, which is also a true story, and it's the only other movie that was filmed on Notre Dame's campus and this is the movie that more famously I think for people uh, Ronald Reagan plays George uh, Gipp in it and in real life George Gipp becomes suddenly ill and that's Ronald Reagan's character and he's a supporting role in it and then that's the really famous scene for people who are in the know where you know, Ronald Reagan's in the hospital, and I guess Pat O'Brien comes up to him, and he's like, you know, win one for the Gipper, and that became the slogan, so that when Ronald Reagan in later life, they called him the Gipper, and then this is the, they reference that in this movie, the Gipper, and don't they, were they calling Rudy the Gipper? They called, I thought there was a couple times they called him Gipper. Know. Yeah. They do, somebody might mention the movie. I'm, uh, John Favreau might bring it up. 
Yeah, the Gipper. You know, that's the people who, because I was like, oh, I know that, you know, uh, I, I've heard of that because they called Ronald Reagan the Gipper. And then I, when I thought like, oh, there's, because he was really like a B actor in the 40s and 50s, Ronald Reagan. So that's his like most famous role that became a classic. Yeah, yeah. Well, that uh, line is Yeah, is you, you, sure. know, do, you know, do it for the Gipper. So uh, then when you trail it back, I didn't know it's, because it's funny too, because it's, you know, back in those days, it was like, you know, we don't, it, since we always talk about the studio system, they're putting a movie out a week. Pat O'Brien, who is the priest from uh, Angels with Dirty Faces, he's an Irishman. You know, he's not, he's, he's just a, you know, he's like, he's like us. He's maybe a little heavier than me. So it's funny to think that, like, next week, okay, you're playing an athlete going to college. <laughs> you know, and all of a sudden he's going to be like this jack. You know, he's not jacked. And it's yeah, just like, yeah. you know, so it's like they'll put anybody in the role. So, but that's the only other movie, uh, Newt Rockney uh, All American from 1940 is the only other movie that's ever had been allowed to, up until 1993 to shoot on Notre Dame's campus, which yeah. is kind of interesting, too. And uh, Rudy says that he was very embarrassed by the fact that they carried him off the stage because it was a pretty far distance. It <laughs> <laughs> was like the length of the field. And yeah. apparently, he was very embarrassed that they that well they, maybe he's like because of his height he's like come on guys that they did that <laughs> yeah um and so uh you know this is the this is kind of tracked the kind of the life of Rudy versus the movie he didn't haven't talked too much about the movie uh yet but uh and everybody got a game ball too from that that game too that's a lot of balls I know that's a lot of balls <laughs> we're playing with uh but it was within the locker room after the game. There was a sports uh, commentator or reporter in the locker room, and he uh, he walks up to Rudy, and he's like, who where are you? Where are you going? I'm going to Disneyland. <laughs> he's like, who are you? Yeah. Because he's never heard of him before. Rudy didn't, like, even in the movie, Rudy doesn't even have his last name on the jersey because he's just a, a practice player, um, training squad, and uh, and he's like, you know, I don't know, I've never heard of you before, you're 5'6". You don't even have a name on the back of your jersey, and yet there's people chanting your name in the crowd. Yeah. Who the hell are you? <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, and and Rudy says he didn't really have time to really tell him the story, but the guy, the reporter did make a comment to Rudy that was like, that that kind of, like that only happens in Hollywood. And then that planted the seed, according to Rudy. That like like maybe this is a story that could be made into a movie. Back in 1975. Yeah. So before uh, I, I jump into the getting the movie made, which is also very interesting, and we'll try to do that in a kind of a truncated way, um, I do want to talk about... Uh, well, then Rudy, like you said, to finish him out, he became a motivational speaker. Eventually. Yeah. And he but I don't think he really did until after the movie was made. No, yeah, no. And then after the movie, he... But we haven't gotten to the making of the movie. Okay, yet. so we'll be, <laughs> we can talk about Rudy uh, post-movie uh, after the movie then. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll get into. We're, I thought we were, we're done we're, with Rudy. And we were segueing no, no, to, to. Okay. Well, we're gonna we're getting into like how his journey to making the movie. Okay. But before uh, we do that, uh, just because I want to end on Rudy, I do want to talk a little bit because I do find like Sean Astin and especially Charles Dust Dutton, uh, who obviously Sean Astin plays Rudy and Charles Dust Dutton plays the character of Fortune. Uh, they both have really fascinating stories. Uh, Charles Dust Dutton much more so. Uh, but Sean Astin, for people who don't know, of course, we've covered him on the show before because he's in Goonies. Yes, he is. Um, he's in other movies that I I, I uh, love a lot, like Toy Soldiers. Yeah. That someday maybe we'll get to on the show. Uh, Whitewater Summer, yeah. other classic with Kevin Bacon. Um, Lord of the Rings. He's in the Lord of the Rings movies. People love he him was, there. Uh, most recently in uh, a couple of seasons of Stranger Things. Um 
but he's the son of an actress named Patty Duke. Never heard of her. And uh, in the 60s, she had a television show and a couple of television shows. And we, she was just on... Um, didn't she just cameo? We just we just had a thing where she Patty Duke was... I told, it was like, that's Patty Duke in the... Uh, no, oh, that, that's a movie I watched in Spinguli. <laughs> She was. She was Scratch in. A, that. Yeah, she was in. A, she's in a movie. I watched a horror movie, and there was a scene where there's a girl went and talked to whoever. It was young Patty Duke, and I'm like, holy crap, it's Patty Duke. Uh, she became best known, I think, for her work in television. But uh, in terms of cinema, I think you know at least a lot of people know that know her from she's in a very great and classic movie called The Miracle Worker yeah. about Helen Keller, and she played Helen Keller in that. And then that also ended up. Who play? She plays. But didn't she play? I, I feel like she played the child younger, and then when she got older, isn't the story that then she played Helen? Ke- she played Helen Keller in in the, like on stage maybe because there was a play first. But, but she plays Helen Keller, who's the who's the girl who's it was, the, the story was that she was she's deaf, blind, and mute. Yeah, and the the, the miracle workers trying to break to this child who's who in the movie is eight or nine. Bancroft. Yeah. Okay. Is the is the uh, is the social worker? Or the yeah. Okay, so that's that's then that's it then. So the story is that she, the 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 miracle workers or the social workers trying to break through, and they finally break through. She's able to communicate, and it's this really poetic, tragic thing, which is based on a true story. So if Patty Duke plays Helen Keller there, years later they did a remake, and Helen Helen Keller played the Anne Bancroft character, hmm. and I don't I forget who uh, plays the the Helen Keller in that. So that's why I remember it becoming full S- circle. Secular. Yeah. And then, like you said, she did the Patty Duke show where yeah, she's Patty playing Duke show, but she dual roles. She's playing American and she's playing in English on that show. Yeah, you know. she was in a lot of things. Sure. Um, and uh, the reason why the story's interesting is uh, kind of in a uh, tabloidy kind of way in that uh, she gets pregnant with Sean Astin. And, uh, but at the time, Patty Duke was seeing both a concert promoter named Michael Tell and, uh, and Desi Arnaz Jr. Yeah. And so uh, there was not quite certain who was the father. But uh, she marries Michael Tell. Michael tells her, you're pregnant. Let's get married. Let's do this proper. But they only end up living together, for uh, being married for like three weeks or something in 1970. And then they get a divorce. She ends up then in 1973, she's seeing John Astin. Yeah. Who uh, it's Gomez for people on the yeah, original Adam's Family Show. Who originally got talked to, who was also, I think he gets mentioned on Gremlins 2. Yeah, he's in Gremlins too. For, for he has a small part. He's got a cameo. Maybe he's the janitor or something. Yeah, he's think, also in Freaky Friday, the Jodie Foster movie. Doesn't he play the dad in yeah, that? Yeah, he's in. I mean, he's in a lot of stuff. He's yeah. a really familiar face. He's in Briscoe County Junior. Sure, The Adventures of Briscoe he's County in, Junior. He's the uh, Frighteners. Old, I was gonna say he's the old judge in Frighteners. He's fabulous. She had a lot of um, issues. Because she was a child actress, she suffered from depression. She actually, at the time, wasn't diagnosed, but she was bipolar. So if, I, I don't know if that ended up having a lot of problems with her with the relationships. If she is, if sure. she's bipolar and has that kind of thing. So at the time, this all was going on. She was bopping around people. You see her in the seventies on like Tattletale, isn't yeah, she with yeah. John Aston on Tattletale? Yeah, yeah, she is. You know, and then so you see her, and she's gorgeous, and she's even on um, uh, what's the name with Gene Rayburn. Match game. She's on match game a lot. She shows up. She's always sitting next to fucking what's his name, Richard Dawson. You know, <laughs> uh, looking gorgeous as always. So you know, so yeah, she so she ends up marrying John she, Aston in 1973. She marries John Aston, and John Aston adopts Sean as his him. son. Uh, when apparently, according to according to the internet, uh, 
Patty Duke tells Sean Aston when he's 14 that her, his, his, his biological father is Desi Arnaz Jr. So he forms a relationship with Desi Arnaz Jr. So did he grow up thinking that his father was John Aston? I, I don't know. And I wonder if John, I, I was I was under the impression since I didn't do any reading that it was even a shock to John Aston that John Aston didn't know. I've heard that too. Right? That when there, there might have been a lot of, you know. Yeah. I've read that he was 18 months old when they got married. So he had to have. <laughs> unless, oh no, that doesn't mean unless, they, they could have been, you know, fooling around. Yeah, I mean, they could have. They had, they they had to have a courtship before they, they got married. Yeah, they could have been together for who knows the how long The courtship of Eddie's father. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so then he believes that Desney Arnaz Jr. is his father, so he forms a relationship with Desney Arnaz Jr. And then at some point, apparently in his 20s, he's somewhere and he runs into somebody who's related to Michael Tell. No, do I keep cutting you off? But didn't we talk about Desney Arnaz Jr. recently, too? I feel like he came up. I don't remember. Is his mother Lucille Ball? I believe so, yeah. I feel like we brought him up as a producer or something. Of, hey, a, of something. We very well could Yeah, have. okay. <laughs> All right. Uh... I thought he was instrumental in something we watched that was 70s or something. I can't think of it, Okay, what it was, but yeah. he very well could have uh, been. But uh, So he runs into a relative of Michael Tell's, and Michael, uh, that person says, oh, I think we are related. And so this plants the seed in Sean Astin's fo- uh, mind, like, wait, like maybe this other guy's my biological father? So then... And what year did he, was he in Goonies? I mean, I'm sorry, how old was he? You think he's about... 9, 10, 11? Yeah, maybe. So this is all happening like post-Goonies. Post-Goonies. Yeah. yeah, so this is, you know, him getting into I mean, adolescence. At this point, know. he's in his 20s, so this is... Oh, okay, this is when he's in his 20s? Yeah, that he runs into this person. And so then he gets a, a DNA test and finds out that Michael Tell is actually his biological father <sighs> and not Desi Arnest Jr. Did Patty Duke know? Maybe not. Oh, Jesus. But uh, apparently he's... He stayed very close with... Obviously, John Aston, who he considers his father. God bless John Aston, everybody. Um, and they ended up divorcing. Yeah. Uh, because, Patty Duke and John Aston. Because, uh, and then he stayed close with Desi Arnaz Jr. Sure. And then be- formed a relationship with Michael Tell. And then also had a very uh, great relationship with his stepfather, <laughs> who uh, is a guy named Michael Pierce, maybe? Sure. Uh so I say, you, you wonder why the Maury Povich show is so popular. <laughs> so he jokes that, you like... You are not the father. He jokes that he has four dads, because yeah. he does have very good relationships with all four of those gentlemen. Yeah. Uh, so that's just a, an interesting uh, little and tidbit. Been, she passed away, Patty Duke. Bless yeah. Her soul. She died about five years ago or so. Yeah. Somebody, but I felt the, like she suffered from alcoholism, and she had some other things going on uh, in, in the 70s and those years. A lot of people who end up being... Um, you know, uh, child actors from a young age. There was a William Castle movie that was on Svengoolie recently, and uh, she cameoed in that. And well, I, she was in a lot of things. She was in that. Maybe she might. She might but have this been is in pre Swarm. It's pre. She was um, in 4D Man. That's it. 4D Man. Yeah. Yeah. She was in 4D Man. I'm watching 4D Man, and that was. She, she's on like a scooter, and she turns around and she says something to uh, to the person, and that was it. Freaking 4D Man. Good on you, Blake. <laughs> But in the interest of moving things along, yeah, moving, moving right, right along, along. Uh, Charles on Sutton, on the other hand, on the completely other end of the spectrum, um, you know, he is, I think, at least for me, and I would imagine other people our generation, he was probably best recognized as Rock or in the, the television show Rock. I was going to say the guy that helps Johnny Depp out in Nick of Time <laughs> when he only has an hour and a half to shoe shiner. Uh, he was in a he was on a television show called Rock from. 
Uh, it was in the 90s. It was the early 90s to mid 90s. And I remember rock being really... See, if I if we had done our research properly, I remember rock being really... The show rock being really groundbreaking because there was a lot of issues they bring up for Afri- African Americans on yeah. rock, right? Yeah, Is that it definitely was. Yeah, it was kind of ground a little bit groundbreaking, even though it was under, under the guise of like a family sitcom. It was a it, you know it did I think push some boundaries. Yeah, um, they talk about issues that have never been talked before in a non comedic kind of from ninety one to ninety four. Okay, um, uh, but and then he was also an alien. Three, just a Rock, little bit, yeah. a little bit before that, Charles S. Dutton. But he was in a lot of stuff. He Cat's made a lot. Eye, he was said. in a lot of television shows. He's on an episode of Cagney and Lacey. Yeah. Um, he was in Cat's Eyes and Crocodile Dundee Two. He was in Jackknife, which I always bring up with <laughs> with Jack <laughs> with uh, uh, Ed Harrison, Ed Harrison, De Niro, and De Niro. Shot in Connecticut, Alien Three, Menace to Society. Yeah. But Menace to Society, sweet. Charles S. Dutton grew up in Baltimore. And he was—he grew up in a, in a public house in public housing in Baltimore. He dropped out of school when in middle school, so he never finished middle school. And uh, apparently, I would imagine as a young person, had a short-lived boxing career where he had the nickname Rock. Oh wow! Uh, which was short for Rockhead, because I guess he was thought of as being thick-headed or something to that effect. But in 1967, at age 16, he got in a fight. Uh, where he claims a person pulled a knife on him and he killed that guy in the fight. So the guy who, who he got in a, in a knife fight with in 1967 at the age of 16, he, uh, that person died and he pled guilty and was sentenced to five years at the Maryland House of Correction. Um, he did a, fi- a five-year bid for, for... Well, he got sentenced to it. I don't know how... I couldn't figure out how long he actually did, but... Uh, while he was on parole, I can't tell like when he got paroled, but while he was on parole, then he got arrested on robbery and handgun charges, and he was sent to Maryland Penitentiary for, for another three years. Now, while in Maryland Penitentiary, he gets in a fight with a guard, and he gets another eight years. And what year? This is when he's all in his teens? Well, 16, so uh, late teens into his early 20s. I yeah. would imagine. Uh, so he gets a fight with a guard, and he jo- and he has said in, in, in like in, in, apparently in an interview, he said like I killed a black man and got three years. I punched a white man and I got eight. Because um, it was a guard. While in prison, he was stabbed and nearly died. Jesus. Uh, and also while in prison, he got sentenced to six days in solitary confinement for refusing to clean toilets. Now, why this is significant is because apparently. When you get into solitary confinement, you're allowed to bring a, uh, some things with you, one of which is you're allowed to bring one book. And he accidentally picks up a book. And also during this time, he's getting kind of very involved in like radical uh, like th- the, things like the Black Panther. The BLA, like, yeah. Black Liberation Army, yeah. Um, while he's in prison. But he picks up a book, and he accidentally picks up a book, which is an anthology of black playwrights. So he's sitting there for six days. He got out there to do. So he reads these plays, like Augustus, uh, written by, Wilson. written by these black playwrights, and he loves it. He loves loves the the plays. And so when he gets out of solitary confinement, he petitions the warden to say, "Can we have a drama group for the winter uh, talent show?" And the warden says, "You can have. Uh, we can do a drama group if you promise. If you go back to school and you get your uh, GD." And so 
Uh, Charles S. Dutton does that, gets his degree, and then also, I would imagine still while in prison, somehow gets into a two-year program at Hagerstown Junior College in Maryland and gets an associate degree, associate art degree while he's in, uh, uh, in prison. And then when he gets out, he enrolls in the uh, to become a drama major at uh, Townsend State University, which is outside of Baltimore. He graduates with a Bachelor of Arts in 1978. And what year is all? Like, so what year is what year is he born? Do you have a? I don't know, but he's 16 and 67. Okay, so that means so then he's what in his late 20s at this point. Yeah. So he's doing he he. It sounds like he put a good 10 years in prison. It seems that way. You know what I mean? Then and, and you uh, know for for murder as well as uh, well, man, so he got manslaughter. He, he, he yeah. pleaded to ma- to manslaughter. He got to put um, down. Uh, so then he gets he majors gets a a, a bachelor, a BA in a bachelor's degree in uh, in drama is. in seventy eight, and then he gets a master's degree at Yale School of Drama in nineteen eighty three. Yeah. So this completely changes his life around, all because he accidentally. Picked up a book. Picked, picked up a book in solitary confinement uh, and got interested in theater and drama. Uh, I'd always heard that he had he had gone to prison for manslaughter and that he had killed somebody in his youth. Yeah. Um, That's similar to um, Don King killed somebody and went to prison for that. And it's very controversial if, if, if it was in defense or whatever, the, the situation surrounding that. And there's a great documentary that's that's made on the cheap but it's really interesting about uh danny treo it talks about Danny danny treo growing up and being in all kinds of trouble going to prison and danny treo talks to treo talks about being in solitary i mean that's like the you could think about anywhere in your life the lowest point you can get to it's yeah. like you're in solitary confinement in like a a, a federal prison or a prison and treo says there he says i want to change my life around and then he is able to get out of you know, solitary finishes thing, and then just because he was an extra doing that movie, Stand and Deliver, you know, there's that scene with Lou Diamond Phillips. Yeah. He was watching. He's like, "This is not how people would do stuff." And he's like, "They're like, what do you mean?" Because there was like a boxing match with prisoners. So he started, and then just serendipitously, they start calling him. Oh Jesus, you know, you look like you'll be a good Pachuco. Why don't you come over here or whatever? And and he, we know Danny, Tre- you know, Treyu for this whole their life, you know. But it's amazing to think, like you're saying, like. Dutton's in prison in solitary. He picks the wrong book up or Treyu's in solitary. It's just yeah, like, yeah. you know, and then they're able to just go the opposite direction and, and they're almost a household name. Rock was huge when that show came out. Yeah. You know, that was a really good effort. And then I feel like he left. Yeah. And they replaced him with another actor. Yeah, I remember because the, the father that was in that, I remember that being really good because that was all on, I don't remember if it was on the Sunday or but Monday. I could, be wrong. I could be thinking of another show. I f- there's I f- a recollection of some show that involved an African-American family in the 90s. The, I thought it was rock, but I could be thinking of a different show. But I remember like they had stuff where um, it was on the same lineup. I remember it was like, I feel like it was like Simpsons or Herman's Head or Science. Like, yeah, I think it was on Fox. You know, it was, yeah, it was, I was on Fox, but I forget what else was on around it. So I would watch it as well. And the father on that show, the actor, I feel like he was a very pro uh, African American speaker, and they were doing. I f- there's there's an episode. Maybe it was like I, it could have been somebody was gay, and it was like you know uh, bringing somebody home for. I, I think it, I think it was one episode was like having someone who was gay coming over, and it, that's really a hard topic for an African American community to talk about, you know. And then there was another thing about I think uh, somebody was dating somebody and they had HIV. 
Yeah. And it was like them, you know, oh, the person's... And it was the misconceptions in the community about, you know, how do you get AIDS? You know, if you touch them or if you yeah, don't well, let them come, you know... But early 90s. Yeah, so it was like they, it, they were dealing with those kind of issues that, that people weren't really talking about, you know. Um, but I remember that come... Like, after a couple of years, I kind of went off the air, but I remember being a good show. And I remember something that they would do something... Where they would they would tape it live or... There was a... Co- there, there's, I think there were... Right? There were... It's all I ringing a bell, honey. I don't know if it was all, epi- all the episodes, but there was a thing where... He a, a lot of the cast were people that he worked with in the theater, so he had done live theater with a lot of these people, and so somehow I think they lobbied to like bring this whole cast from this one play that he did, yeah, to be like who he was in the show with. And since that was just, they all came from live theater, there was something to do with that. They there were I don't know if it was all the episodes or there was a, some of the episodes were actually done live. Yeah. Live to tape. And then li- not just live to tape, but live, maybe live like broadcast. Live, yeah. Maybe. And that's like when I saw fences with, with uh, Denzel Washington, that whole cast ended up going to the movie. Uh, you know, all those people. So yeah, yeah. That, that's, that's cool. That's quite common. So that's nice that, he was able to bring them over, and then yeah, I mean, I don't think the show was based on no, the play that yeah, they did, but, but it was they just they all the, liked working together. Yeah, and, they were and all, he had, had a, good chemistry with them. Yeah, and that's a big break for him to come up and then get a show based around him. Because what was he a garbage man in it too? Or am I getting it too mixed up? Because in Fences, he's a garbage man, but I felt like he was. There was jokes about him being a sanitation it's worker. Been, I honestly haven't seen that. Yeah, since, since, since me neither. Since he, yeah, I don't. That's and I that, that'd be something to see if that's on DVD. <laughs> if it's on if it's on VHS. <laughs> so that's amazing. To, uh, Dutton's character to think about that and he's yeah. always seemed like such a nice guy and then you think about how older he must be then he's in his 40s then when he's getting his you know he's in his late mid to late yeah. 30s this gives us some hope you know that he's that he's getting these breaks and then because I've seen him recently and he's older now you know yeah yeah uh, but that's just but always solid yeah always, always gives a good performance yeah, especially in this, I mean then like these kind of performances it's like great I, in this movie yeah uh, I want to just go hang out with him. <laughs> speaking of this movie, yeah. <laughs> speaking let's, of Rudy, let's get it back on the road. Uh, it's hard to tell what the timeline is, but so Rudy says that the after the game is what plans to see, but he also says it took ten years to get the movie made. So apparently, there was some time in between the game, nineteen seventy five to nineteen ninety three, where so this, by, by eighty three is when apparently when he starts trying to get the movie made. And is this this is not based off a book or anything? No, because you would think they would have did a book first. Apparently not. <laughs> uh, as far as I could tell, I don't believe. Yeah, uh, he might have a book now, yeah, but yeah, not but by not the, prior. Not to. Uh, it's I, I couldn't find details of like what he was actually doing to try to get the movie made, but he was trying to get uh, initially. But he's he's trying to get the movie made, and he's talking to people. But he's he's in like the show. He's in Illinois. No, he's in Indiana. He's 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 living near Notre Dame. Okay. And he's doing, I can't tell what steps he's doing to get the movie made, but one of the steps is that he keeps on bugging Notre Dame. I was going to say, if he's... I want to make this movie, and Notre Dame's saying, like, no, we don't let people shoot movies here. We haven't let anybody shoot a movie since 1940. Yeah, the Gipper. (laughs) Uh, And we're not going to let you shoot a movie here. So he bugs them so much that they apparently, according to Rudy, they make him sign, like, a letter that says, I'm not going to talk, I'm not going to bug you about shooting the movie on him. With penalty of that he'll be banned from the campus. Well, he, he, yeah, I mean, they, <laughs> I was going to say, at what point are they just like, for fuck's sake, we let you in, you ran, the, you got to just leave us alone. <laughs> you know, you got what you want. We gave you the shirt, we gave you the ring, we gave you the jacket. So apparently I think like all, he has a, certain people that he's dealing with uh, in Indiana because, and he's also just like working average jobs as a, as a 
car salesman or this or that. He just has like he's has jobs, uh, but I don't. I guess he's kind of focused now, which I think you know it's the other thing that people like. He he accomplished the one goal, and maybe Rudy needs another goal. Yeah, right. You yeah, know, motivation. He, or he has a like, new goal, like, uh, yeah. which is that he wants to tell his story in the in in uh, in a film. Well, um, you know, you think of it the letdown, not the letdown, but it's like how old is he? He's what in his mid to late twenties when all this happens. He's been singularly working to this goal all his life to step on the Notre Dame football field to play a game. He yeah. does all that. He's carried off the field. He makes history for that, and then he wakes up the next morning. And it's like fuck. Yeah, what you know am I gonna do what now? the fuck? Yeah, what what now? What do I do? You know, it's like you know. So it's like, yeah, he needs. To, you're right. He kind of needs to have. There must be a lost, you know, time there. Where he's like, what the fuck do I do now? I'm kind of guide guideless. Or, I mean, you know, to me, there's. Uh, I mean, clearly, there's a there's a drive and a persistence and all that stuff. But there is, there's something that I don't understand. Um, if I were to interview Rudy, yeah. I would. I one of my questions would be like, well, what? A, like, why would you think that your story was worth telling? Now, <laughs> for full disclosure, Blake has a connection to the family of Rudy, so we were trying to effort. We didn't, of course, stock our ca- cards in because this was so last minute. Yeah, we didn't do any planning. We could have, if we thought better, we could have planned it all. But Blake is tr- efforting, trying to maybe. <laughs> we, you know, we we were trying to get we Rudy reached out. We were we reached out to try to get Rudy on the show, today. but he's a very busy to, man, and he didn't want to, and he just didn't have the time to come sleep. Yeah, over he didn't want to come sleep over. Yeah, <laughs> just, you know, a guy who's now in his in his you know in his seventies is not. But I would have asked over. him because I mean I think it's an interesting question. So like the, well, maybe down the line we could have. Like that. what about you? Like why? I mean, because I don't. Ne- he doesn't necessarily come off to me as a uh, like egotistical, like self-absorbed guy who would think that his story is so great. But there has to be something to say. Like I'm going to now. Well, so it's like somebody said it to him. Yeah, somebody, somebody was like, like, "This would be a- hit the bell, and the light yeah. went off." And he's like, "Some girl was like." You know, your story well, would make the, a great like it, it was the this, reporter. The reporter was like, "This that's what kind it, of what shit it, only it happens." Just, it just must have just percolated in his brain, and then one day he's like, "Yeah, you know, that's right. It, it would make a great." I story. guess you know by that point, you know, so it, he that was seventy five, seventy six. Rocky comes yeah. out, and also around this time, isn't um this the story too that Montana Joe Montana's on a team? He's a freshman, I think, when Rudy's a senior, and he's he plays a couple plays on the field or something like that. You know, we all know where Joe Mon Joe Montana. <laughs> Joe Montana goes. Um, he first. He was the first restless in Notre Dame versus the Air Force. Got away. Play. He he played a game away. Joe Montana's first great comeback games. Uh, for, okay. So yeah. So he. It's it's interesting how they kind of cross paths there. You know. Um, but so Rudy's trying to get the movie made in some fashion. Yeah. I can't. I didn't find the details of what he, he was actually a, trying to do in the early '80s. He wants a GI Joe. He's lobbying to be the refrigerator. But he <laughs> he knows he's trying to get Notre Dame involved, um, and he's meeting with people, and they're meeting at some hotel, and they're going to have their last meeting because he's like, "We're never going to get Notre Dame involved." So I think I get the sense that that's the final straw. Like, okay, like this is not going to happen. So he has a meeting with these guys. It's their last meeting in the hotel. And the hotel manager comes up to him, apparently, allegedly, and says, hey, you know what? I've been telling my brother about your story and what you're trying to do. And he wants to meet with you. 
So his brother comes to town. They go and they get. Uh, so he must have been hanging around the hotel manager enough, <laughs> drinking at the bar, you know, weekdays. They go. Well, there seems to be, if you, the way Rudy tells the story anyway, there seems to be like these key people that are just like almost chance encounters. Yeah. That help propel the, the, the movie. It's, yeah, and it's probably almost, his life uh, also. Divine intervention. Yeah. And so the, he. It's like know, Charles S. Dutton picking that book up. So he says, to the guy, yeah, I'd be happy to meet with your brother. So he goes and he has like a he has a pizza someplace with his, the guy's brother and the, and he tells them the story and the and the guy's brother's like now that could be a that that could be that's a movie and he's like I, I'm, that's what I'm saying and the guy's like and Rudy apparently is like well no offense but like like how would how would you know if that's a movie and he's like because I fucking made Hoosiers <laughs> he, he was one of the guys that got Hoosiers made and he's like oh wow and so. Uh, so uh, Rudy says, can you, uh, uh, I would love for Angelo uh, Pizzo, Pizzo, the writer of Hoosiers, to write it. Can you set up a meeting where I can meet him? Now, Hoosiers, as a side note, is that also based off a true story, right? That I don't know, but it is about Indiana basketball. Yeah, and um, great performances by all. I remember people hailing Dennis Hopper because doesn't he play the alcoholic coach or somebody in it? But that was when he was having his comeback. Because Dennis Hopper had those years where he yeah. kind of went crazy, dipping acid after Apocalypse Now, and it wasn't until like Hoosiers, Blue Velvet, he came back up to his sure, top. Sure, sure. So, I'm ashamed yeah. to say it's been so long since I've seen Hoosiers. Yeah. And, I mean, it hasn't been Stay that long, but it has been at least 10 years. Well, it's been 30 for me. Yeah. Because uh, there was a point where I was like, you know what? I haven't seen Hoosiers in forever. And I yeah. did watch it at some point. I remember when I worked at the video store and people were like, love the sports movies. That they were, This is, Rudy was one of the people, there was a list of movies people would put on, but people always talked about how amazing Hoosiers is and how amazing. Dennis Hopper was in that. I was like, oh, I love Dennis Hopper. Yeah. This guy loves Dennis Hopper. So yeah. anyway, so that's a great feat to say so you're he, right. Indiana so basketball. Sets, so he sits up, sets up a meeting with Angelo Pizzo, Pizzo. Uh, at a pizza a, parlor. And uh, so Rudy goes to California. Rudy has a friend in California. <laughs> it's like Pee Wee's Big Adventure. So he's like, <laughs> you know, take me, you know, can you come with me to this dinner? I'm having dinner with this guy and I think in like North Hollywood or West Hollywood or somewhere. Um so they go to the dinner. Him and his friend go to the dinner, and they wait for the guy for two hours. And the guy never shows, the the, the screenwriter. So his friend's like, well, I guess that's it. And, Ru- and Rudy's like, no, we're going to go find this guy. <laughs> going to beat the shit out of him. So Rudy's depressed. Rudy says he walks out of the uh, restaurant, and he sees a mailman. And the mailman looks at him and, like, smiles or whatever because he's friendly. And Rudy walks up to the mailman. He's like, you have no idea how much I needed that smile today. And they start talking. And they start chatting, and uh, the guy's like, where are you from? He's like, well, I live in Indiana, and the guy's also from, like, the Midwest somewhere. And he's like, oh, that's interesting. They start talking. And uh, so the guy's like, so what's going on? And he's like, well, I was waiting for this guy. And the mailman's like, I just delivered that guy's mail. <laughs> and I'm going to break the federal law and he's tell you like, where he lives. I'm not supposed to do this, yeah. but I'm going to show you where this guy lives. <laughs> <laughs> just in case you want to go murder his ass. <laughs> So Rudy walks up to the guy's house, walks up to Angelo's house, knocks on the door. Angelo answers. He's all disheveled. And he's like, and he's like, my name's Rudy. We were supposed to have a meeting. And he's like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I was up all night rewriting the script. I lost track. I apologize. He's like, but I'm going to save you some time. I'm not going to do it. I just I wrote Hoosiers, which is about Indiana basketball. I don't want to be typecast as the Indiana sports I'm guy. I'm going to save you time. <laughs> How fucking defeatist. I'm going to save you time and say no. And so Rudy says, well, come, you know, get dressed and let me take you out. And he's like, I'm not going to do the movie. He's like, I don't, don't worry about it. Like, okay, I get you. You're not going to do the movie. I've heard this all my life. 
But so, in typical Rudy fashion, he's a mover and shaker. He talks about he befriends this guy over two years. He becomes a, he he forms a relationship with this guy. He's really over, laying the groundwork. He put a foundation in over two years, and they become friends. Um, and then uh, one day, uh, some time has passed. Two years later, after this meeting, after he meets the guy, uh, Angela like he realizes I'm like I'm all looking at him, <laughs> bated breath. Rudy comes home. Uh, at this point, I think he's like cutting grass. Like when he decided to start making the movie, he gave up like having like a real job and just was like taking like medial, just enough to like pay the rent because he was focusing he on the movie. Imagine his parents like, "What are you doing already? <laughs> you got what you wanted. Yeah, now what are you doing, Rudy? We're gonna die." Rudy comes home and the answer machine. Back in the day, kids, we had these things called answering machines. Beep. And then the lights flashing, and he hits the button. It replies, and Angelo says, "Hey, Rudy, call him. Give me a call." He calls up. I'll save you quick. We're not making a movie. <laughs> Again with this? I know. He calls him up, and Angela says that, uh, I believe it was Columbia Pictures, I think. TriStar? Green Lights, the movie. I think, I think they became like the same. Oh, yeah. Okay, you're right, yeah. Um, uh, that they, they combined at some point. They were, or TriStar was like a subsidiary of Columbia. Anyway, they're connected because you can see the logos are connected. <laughs> he says, they greenlit your movie, and they hired me to write it. What? I'm writing your movie. They grew, how did, so he must have been shopping around. A, <laughs> Somebody must have been shopping around the movie. It's, it's so a, he must have put together some sort of uh, out over. Even if they didn't have a spec script, he must have had an outline or something and had it shopping around. Because the worst call in the world would have been him been like calling up like, "Hey, they greenlit your movie, and I'm writing it." And he's like, "But I haven't pitched it to anybody <laughs> yet. What do you mean?" And it's you know his his what's his name that uh, what's his J- J- uh, Favreau's characters. Oh, D Bob. Uh, yeah, D Bob's done it. You know. <laughs> Fuck! Apparently, according to Rudy, yeah, uh, whoever was running Columbia Pictures at the time had been uh, in, co- in had been rejected from Notre Dame, and then was a walk-on football player at Michigan State. Shut the front door! And so, when he heard about Rudy's story, he connected with it. Supposedly, supposedly yeah. allegedly, um, and so. Uh, they they go they meet everybody's excited to do the movie Angelo writes Angelo Pizzo writes the script the first version of the script they're working on the script they get uh, uh, Dan Ans Anspow uh, who was mostly known for television directed some films but uh, he was his his most significant credit in terms of length is that he was a producer and directed director on Hill Street Blues which is a groundbreaking cop show but directed a lot of television sure um, including and also some features. So everything's connected, moving and shaking. They're getting the movies made, and uh, they go to Angelo. Goes to Rudy. and says, "Okay, we just gotta hook everything. We just gotta go confirm when we're gonna go shoot at Notre Dame and get that all worked out." And Rudy's like, "I I can't." <laughs> and he says, "Well, what do you mean?" He said, I, "I've bothered not, them so I'm, much. I'm not allowed to go there and talk to them about this. I've signed like a contract. I signed a letter saying that I'm not gonna bug them." And and so, like, wh- how like, much pressure do you think the university put on him to force him to sit down? And they had something written up that they actually had him sign, and then he agreed to sign. <laughs> I guess you know I mean, what I mean? It was so important. They he must lived, have said to he him, lived across the street from the campus. They must have said, if you don't sign this, you yeah, like you said, when you're never going to be allowed to set foot on camp, and that's yeah. his world. So he's like, okay, sign away. Yeah. So now he's stuck with a with a binding contract. Yeah. So uh, the producers and Angelo, I'll the, bite my the nails. writer, they're all like, well, Rudy. Like, 
if we don't get the permission to shoot there within 48 hours, like the Columbia or TriStar is going to pull the plug. I'm going to have some of your popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently, uh, Rudy says, I don't know what was said in the meeting, but Angelo Pizzo and, uh, and uh, Dan uh, Anspal, the director, they go and they meet with people at... Um, they should have got Reagan involved because he would have been president around this time. At Notre Dame. And after the meeting, they come out like, we got permission. Because this would be the only, the second movie ever to be shot. Um, you know, I think partially, th- you know, obviously they're, they don't want the hassle of a professional crew probably dealing on the campus. They probably are, are very safeguard the image of Notre Dame. Well, so Yale was the, the same way. Team and uh, Yale wouldn't let people shoot for years. And, and since Yale is, the campus is so integrated in the town of New Haven. Yeah. You didn't get a lot of movies shot in New Haven, so for years, yeah. So that might have been maybe these Ivy League schools. And that it was they also, just don't I want. think, you know, it was like we don't want a, another like uh, Notre Dame football movie. And then the idea was like, but it's not; it's a love story. Yeah, <laughs> it's about it's about a boy's love for Notre Dame. Although I heard like the, the the movie poster of him on the field is actually the Stanford University field, the football field. It could be, although. You know? To get the, to actually shoot the football games, I think they only shot. They didn't have the money, and there was CGI. Really, wasn't up yeah. to snuff. Then. They had to shoot it in the halftime. So they actually had to shoot it during halftime of of Penn State, a nope. Penn State game, and that, they actually in the se- that season they didn't actually play Penn State. Yeah, the season that takes place in the in the movie, but they had to shoot. So Boston College. Uh, but there's a there's a there's a scene where they're playing Penn State. And that's because they played, <laughs> like Notre Dame was playing Penn State that day yeah. that they shot there. Because um, they say an other scene is when you see the colors people are wearing and they're, uh, when they're playing Boston College. They yeah. had Boston well, there's College. There's a couple of games represented, yeah. but he can't get into the game. But sure. you see people going in. And you think about how much time, <coughs> that's a, that's a uh, must be a monster too. You know, there's a, another football movie we haven't talked about that's been on our list for years to cover, uh, Black Sunday. And at the end of that, they're shooting at the, an actual Super Bowl at uh, Miami Dolphin Stadium and, um, you know, Robert Shaw's running up and down the sidelines and that's all shot at a real game, you know. So yeah. you think about a lot of times when you're able to get in and shoot these things, it's like, uh, what is halftime? I mean, or, or that that's 10, 10 minutes, 15 no, minutes? No, I think it's probably like a half an hour. Oh, is it? Because they usually have, because apparently for this, it's like they had like something like 15 minutes or something to shoot. Yeah. Or like twenty minutes. To oh, that's sh- a good point. I do these shows. Yeah, it is about a half hour because I do the halftime show with those guys. Yeah, to, to shoot the, all this stuff for the end. Yeah. Um. Th- it was like the marching band. Somebody or the cheerleader. Somebody gave up their time so that they could run on the field and shoot everything they needed. Yeah. The only backup was that they had another game that takes place earlier in the movie that they could have. But they, like, if they didn't get it in that time, they were yeah. kind of screwed. They could maybe get some pickup shots at another game that is featured earlier in the movie, where they could try to sneak a couple of shots in. I mean, but it really was like do or die. Like we have, the, we have fifteen, twenty minutes, whatever it was. Yeah, to get to get all the actors. Yeah, yeah probably when they're standing on the, that is. probably when they're standing on like the sidelines and stuff. You could probably fake some of that because you only need like thirty people sitting sure in the rows 
close-ups. When you're oh, you get close-ups and stuff. Especially if you're doing stuff, you're not facing the field. But actual gameplay when you see yeah, the crowds. Yeah, that's the problem. Is when, and then when you have people reacting to the gameplay. I mean, you even think about a movie like um, that De Niro movie, The Fan, with Wesley Snipes. Yeah. You think about at the end, they're on the mound there. And I, at that point, they could have filled the stadium. But for those big stadium shots, when they're trying to go out in either a baseball or football game or something, to actually get on the field and get some of that stuff, or even Naked Gun, you know, it's like you think about, <laughs> yeah. you know, how, uh, you know, there's very limited time you have, and they'll tell people, okay, we're going to do this scene, so you just got to act like, you know, you know, when I was in my big three men and a little lady scene when I did the wave at Shea Stadium, you know, it's like they'll say, they, you know, if you want to be in a movie, do the wave, and it's like, now, I'm not positive, but I recall my dad saying, uh, one of my dad's best friend growing up, who has since passed away, but um, went to Notre Dame. My dad went to Villanova and uh, his best friend growing up went to Notre Dame and so his best friend was a lifelong Notre Dame fan. Didn't somebody else here went to go to Villanova as well? Hmm. Anyway, sorry. Uh, and so they went to a Notre Dame game and I think my dad went to a game where they were shooting Rudy. Um. So one of those days that they shot, your dad was in the crowd. That he was in, he was in the crowd for one of those days. But uh, so they make Rudy. Um, they get the great Jerry Goldsmith to score it. Well, this is half the movie I think that is this soundtrack. It's like a, again, if I go back to that Crunch Course uh, Sports Illustrated uh, documentary thing. The, the music in that is epic. It's almost like John Barry. Sure. And I think a lot of these movies, especially, I mean, the this Rudy music that Goldsmith's done, it's even used John McCain and his 2008 presidential yeah. run is using it when he accepts the inaugural. Uh, it's been used in know, trailers. The RNC, yeah. Tons of movies. So because it's like. Sometimes when they do the trailers for movies, especially early on, they have to either write new music or they pull cues from other things because the music for the movie hasn't written yet. Yeah, so you'll have like Terminator 2, but you'll have the aliens to the score. So yeah, you yeah. just get temp music to fill it. So so this, this to this. So I feel like sports movies in general, you know, it's like you, the uh, like Rocky. You know, yeah. you get your good soundtrack half the movie. This movie here is such a good soundtrack. I mean, like that, just the, the it just fills it out. It gives it this epicness that we've discussed in other episodes with other movies yeah. about the sounds that like it, it it elevates the movie to a whole other level just by the score. If I'm not mistaken, I think Jerry Goldsmith might also have scored Hoosiers, which might be his connection yeah, to yeah, this. Yeah, correct. Um, He'd worked with the two of them before. We've talked about Jerry Goldsmith in the past. Unfortunately, I feel like one of the last times we talked about Jerry Goldsmith was on the Shadow episode where I was talking about how I actually didn't like his score for that movie. Yeah. But well, you make it clear in that that that's, that's an oddity because you're a big fan of Jerry Goldsmith. Yeah, and I know people do like that score. Yeah. It's just for me, I remember saying like I needed, I, I equated it to Elfman's score for Batman where there's like a very definite like Theme, yeah, you need, yeah. Well, we said that we need, you need to have the that and, one and for uh, me, superhero felt, theme. I, for me, I felt like for me the overture that was lacking. Yeah, but uh, Jerry Goldsmith, uh, as someone who has interviewed thirty plus composers uh, at this point, that means scores. You've interviewed scores. I've <laughs> interviewed scores of composers. Yeah. Uh, Jerry Goldsmith is one of the people that's most consistently brought up by composers as being one of the greats. I often say there was like a, you know, when we did a fistful of 
for a few dollars more, I probably said, you know, if you have a Mount, Mount Rushmore of film music composers, a Neil Morricone would be on there. Jerry Goldsmith would also be on there. It'd be like John Williams, Jerry Goldsmith, and Neil Morricone. But Jerry Goldsmith is iconic. Anything going back to his score for Planet of the Apes, yeah, sure. is one of the great scores yeah. of all time. Um, Alien, he, he did he yeah. did the score for Alien. Uh, Jerry Goldsmith was. Um, a genius when it came he to film away? scoring. He passed away, I want to say within the last 10 years. I don't recall for sure, so I forgive me if I'm incorrect about that. But uh, his score for this is gorgeous. Yeah. And um, really... It's iconic now that it's also trans- yeah, it's transcended be- and become, you know... It gets used for other things. Um, it's it's beautiful. It it does what it needs to do. I, th- I feel that everybody is... Everybody in the movie is really good. Yeah. I think all the performances are really great, but this, but his score elevates and, you know, everything. You, from a political point of view, if John McCain's going to take that in 2008 and use that for his acceptance of the nomination at the RNC, they're specifically using that song and that because people are going to recognize that and make the yeah. association. So that's how iconic even, it is. Even if it's not on, on a conscious level, yeah, on a subconscious like, level, I know they're going yeah. to react to Yeah, that. you know, it's like using Eye of the Tiger, you know, or, or using the, uh, what's his name, uh, Conti score, other elements of the Rocky. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, and that's, you know, in a lot of these movies, you know, not taking away anything from the movie, but, you know, I, I'd be worried to see where the movie would be if they didn't have this level of brilliance when it comes to the soundtrack. And I feel like we have talked about this before, about how the soundtracks really, you know, put like that, that uh, nitrogen, nitrous in your yeah. tank, you know, to give well, that heard, extra boost. You know, I've heard uh, composers, maybe it was Richard Band that said this to me. Um, and he did like Reanimator and uh, some of the Stuart Gordon stuff, other Stuart Gordon stuff like Castle Freaks and uh, Castle Freak and and From Beyond. And um, he's best known for horror, but he's he's done a lot of other things and is super talented. But he said he always felt like you know it's what takes uh, a two dimensional medium and makes it three dimensional because it does add a level of like emotion and sentiment to a movie sure. that would that may not be there, um, or it definitely enhances whatever drama or action or suspense. Um, and in this case, uh, I think Dan makes a totally valid or, or an important point in that the great sports movies do have a certain kind of music because yeah. you need you need that because it's it's either the excitement or the suspense of the game it's a morale booster it's like get you involved but it's also you know? um you know it's uh motivational especially it's epic when you have a symphony or like a, you know you have a whole sections and woodwinds behind you that kind of stuff or the brass so uh in, in a way you know the story of getting rocky made you know like rudy worked really hard to get rudy made and it's like i said it's since become uh you know, a, a classic for for many people, and like Dion said, a friend of an old friend of his considers this his favorite movie. Um, having been the first time you've seen this movie in its entirety, what did you think? I liked it. I mean, it's certainly, uh, you know, it is a story where you could see why people will look up to it because it's a movie where that shows you that, like, no matter even, I mean, even to the point when your own family. There's not one person that's agreeing with him. His girlfriend, <laughs> you know, Lily Taylor, who uh, ends up going off with his brother in the movie, you know. Yeah. But then you're like, well, you can't blame her. You left her, you know. And she, you know, but it's like even when your dad is like, you know, you know, come on, you need to, you need to get out of this. So it's like when 
you know, only the Lord is with you. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, it really goes to show that you really got to stick to your guns and, and, and have a dream and, and, you know, and, and keep, you know, uh, what's it? The per, you know, there's probably a, an idiom there, but the perseverance, you know, if you keep persevering, it's gonna, you know, it's gonna pay off no matter what, even if you're not good enough. You know, you're going to bother the shit out of people until they give you the, uh, you know, the uh, the chance. Yeah, know? I mean, watching it this time, it's probably this has probably been the first time I've watched the entire movie in a really long time. And what's your what's your uh, history with it? I mean, you saw it when it came out, that kind of a thing. And I then- don't think I saw it in the theater, but I definitely saw it probably when it was a new release on video. And has it become an iconic kind of a movie for you where it's like... It's become... A, I, I don't know if I'd say iconic, but it's definitely, uh, you know, Dion, and I say it on the show, but Dion also knows that. I have a list of movies that are like, if it's on, I'll leave it on. Sure. Um, and I think most people have those kinds of movies. For me, it's it's a lot of like rock, mo- like music movies, not necessarily musicals, although some musicals, but, you know, movies like Rockstar with uh, Mark Wahlberg or The Rocker, which is just a like goofy rock and sure. roll movie. Um, bring, or bring Almost Famous or anything that, like those kinds of movies I watch, sports movies are often those kinds of movies. Um, and often comedies because they're light. And uh, But this is definitely a movie when it's on. Even just recently, before we decided to do it on the show, I had watched a huge chunk of it okay. on television because it was just on, and I left it on. And it lends itself to television, you know. In a way, in a lot of ways, watching it now, it, there's, there's, I don't know how to describe it for me. Watching it in its entirety, it's definitely like kind of longer and slower than I remember it being, and that's not necessarily a negative. It's just that there's like a lot of things in it like because i hadn't seen it this entire so long i completely even forgot that there was a whole section of as him, of him as a kid yeah <laughs> you know what i mean because i hadn't seen the beginning of the movie in the lord knows how long well you see that kind of a thing you know that first shot of seeing the the steam uh the, the factory and then seeing like them playing football i mean you know growing up in the northeast in in those kind of towns, the factory towns, that look like it's like a Christmas story. That yeah. looks like to me where I grew up. Those kind of houses, those kind of baseball or football fields that they're playing on, the streets, um, you know, the snow and all that. That that looks like they shot it where I grew up. So like I automatically you know adhere to that sure, because yeah. it looks like you know well, it looks like few, my suburbia, it, but it yeah, post war. And even when he gets to mid-century, uh, even when he gets to like Notre Dame, it feels like it feels crisp. Yeah, the air feels. Yeah, well, it's autumn. You can <laughs> see, you know, it's really not. You know that that the um, you know, they have all the leaves down. It's very, you know, the changing th- of the seasons. I think what I'm reacting to as I think about it now is that it's a it's a an odd str- an atypical structure. Yeah, because you have like the first act, and then when like his friend dies and he decides to get on a bus in the middle of the night. He feels driven. Um, like, then we go into act two. And then we have, like, a very long act two that kind of culminates with him getting accepted into Notre Dame. But then, like, so then the third act is, like, him gets into Notre Dame and he wants to make the team. And he makes the team. But then, like, there's a fourth act, which is that, like, he has to dress and and... And get and get to play, so it's not a typical a, a like three act structure, which is kind of what we're kind of used to watching, in in most like Hollywood movies. Yeah, um, 
it's more of, a, of an odd four act structure, maybe even something different than that. I'm just thinking off the top of my head, like those seem like the big act breaks where things are changing and we're going into like a different. And part I remember of the story. when we covered Dirty Harry, you brought that up that that to you seem like a four act structure. Remember, yeah. you thought the movie would end when they capture the the bad guy, but then there's this whole other act where he gets caught out again and you got to go after him again. Like yeah, that and those sometimes and are that, fun. And, and it's yeah, it's it's you not know, a negative yeah. in any way. In 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 some ways, it's. It is fun or, or just interesting. Yeah, it's, it's intriguing because it's, it's a different way of telling. Because usually, I guess, 95% of the time you have that typical three. Or you can even you know save the cat where you can tell the beats of a movie. You can kind of break up where things usually... Yeah, because you like, know. you know, typically like the story would be like he needs to get on... If you're going to talk about taking it out of the realm of of uh, true life, mm-hmm. like you would ha- maybe make... A movie would be about him getting on the team. Yep. And then getting to play. Uh-huh. Or it would be about him trying to get on the team. Yeah. Here it's like we have all these different sections trying to cover this guy's life. So In, in, a, in two watch, hours. In watching it now, it was like, man, like he doesn't actually get on the team till really far into the movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because there's this whole other part of like he needs to get to a Holy Cross and he meets D-Bob and he's got to get his graves up and it's him kind of feeling everything out. And, and I wish they had, you know, I was looking near the end of it that I do wish that they kind of came around with Robert Proxy again. Yeah, yeah. I wish he came back and, you know, had a little like... But at the game. Yeah, <laughs> like, you know, a little like uh, Mr. Miyagi gives like the nod, you know, at the end, you know, I did him, I did him, Prosky, you know, like that kind of, you know, just, just a little, just a little back, you know. I did it, brother. Yeah, I did it, brother, you know, but, you know, Ned, having Ned Beatty there kind of is nice and, you And know, Ned Beatty, I mean... He's great. Come on. I mean, in the year before, he, he started a movie called uh, Prelude to a Kiss and he played the husband of uh, Patty Duke. In the movie, interesting. You know, so the, he was like, "I was just hanging out with your mom," la- you know, last year. The, uh, uh, but Ned is—we've talked about Ned with, uh, you know, we did, we did Captain America the movie. He's in that, isn't he? He is in that. Yeah, <laughs> good call. Yeah, which is uh, the the one from 1990. We did Superman two, where he's got a very small part, you know, in yeah, that in the it's a little bit of the, themes. The end of Superman one, kind yeah, of crossover. Uh, and um, I feel like you know, I brought up Ed and His Dead Mother a bunch of times. Uh, that's a big Steve Buscemi movie I like, and he's his his father in that or his brother in that movie. Maybe I've always liked Ned Beatty. Well, he's like a member when we did our Burt Reynolds retrospective that that year you were there he's in that movie white lightning with burt reynolds which then the the i think the sequel is gator where he plays yeah. gator mccluskey he's also in deliverance with he's burt reynolds. yeah and that's another thing where you talk to burt reynolds burt reynolds says at the burt reynolds passed away now but burt reynolds used to say that ned won't still won't talk about oh i talked to people who talked to john void about it and john void talks about that that Ned Beatty doesn't like talking about that movie and that, like that he almost lost his innocence as well as everybody else in that movie <laughs> yeah, you know because yeah. it's so fucked up but uh, in, in White Lightning he's a sheriff in that I remember we only watched it that one time but I remember being very impressed with his acting and the, the couple scenes he had as the mean sheriff that was trying to go after uh, the mustacheless yeah. uh, Burt Reynolds um, but he's but his network he ex- he's yeah, great in that he I mean, excels at those roles where he plays just the um Sometimes he can be the buffoon. Sometimes he can be the the horse's ass, or you know, be the butt of a joke. But other times he can be very menacing, or he can be the straight man. Was there? A, there was also recently, wasn't there a, a, a an urban legend, a, a, a myth? 
that he's one of the voices on the telephone in Creepshow? He is, yeah. That the people say uh, that he he may be the yeah one of the people calling uh, uh, E.G. Marshall at the end of that movie. So that would technically mean he was he's been on three times in three months. If that's true. If that's true, we have no reason to believe that's <laughs> not true. He's in Toy Story three. He's the big bear at the end of Toy Story three. I mean, I guess probably the first thing I remember him from is Superman. Yeah, mine. Me too. He's in. And then I always after that it was always like, oh, it's that guy from Superman. Yeah. I mean, he's um, in all the president's men. But then I always had like an affinity for him because of that. Yeah. And so every time I've seen him, it's always been... Back to school. He's <laughs> in the toy. I forget. He's he's Jackie Gleason's right-hand man where he's like, I can do anything I want. And he turns and he goes, take your pants down. And he's like, what? I said, take your pants. So NetBaby takes his pants down like in the board meeting. Uh, so that's... I knew him from that as well at, the very, at a very young age. Uh... Silver Streak. I mean, he's done a lot of great, you know, the the Life and Times of Judge Roy Bean, uh, a lot of big movies, uh, and he's great. In this. Exorcist Two, The Heretic. Oh yeah. Uh, Mickey, uh, Mickey and Nikki, which is a great uh, Peter Falk, John Cassavetes movie. That's a that's a B side. Uh, Just Cause, which I'm a really big fan of, with Sean Connery, and Lawrence Fishburne, and Crazy Ed Harris. Uh, you don't get too many movies when Ed Harris is crazy. He's in Life, that great movie with Martin Lawrence and Eddie Murphy. Um, he's in a lot of. He just shows up a lot, and you know, and it's he. I think he just really lays in a a, a, a solid performance. Being a, you know, he he's like Borgnine. He can fill yeah. out whatever you need, you know. And, and he's, he's great casting in this. Too. Yeah, because he you know he fulfills. He's so realistic. Where at the beginning he he is like the dad who's got a lot to do. He's yes and his son. He like you know he's favoring the older son. But then he comes around. It's realistic that he comes around. It's realistic that great part where I got teary eyed when it, when they're in the mill, yeah. and he tells, "Hey, look, Dad, I got ex- read it. I got accepted." And then it's so touching that you see Aston looking back, and you see he keep he lets his dad keep the letter. Yeah, and yeah. then you see him like putting it. Yeah, I back did. I in, that this time you know, because too. you know he's going to cherish that for the rest of his life, and maybe frame it, go show his friends. Uh, I love. I, I did think though in that scene that like. He should have taken it out of the envelope for him. Because he, like, <laughs> he takes that envelope and then he's trying to figure out how to open yeah, unfold rips, it, unfold it. And then it's upside down and yeah. he's got to, like, turn it around. You know, I was like, give, give the guy a break. For fuck's sake, he's in the, he's, it's, it's a dark, he's in the office, <laughs> it's in the still, you know, he's, his eyes aren't adjusted. It's funny that um, there's a Knights of Columbus Hall in uh, Hamden, Connecticut, where I, I had to go back to. Um, I had my high school reunion there, and then I had my friend's bachelor party. And it's always, every 10 years, I'm going back to this hall for whatever reason. There's a bachelor party I got to go to, this or that. There's a party being held. And in the front of the it, there's a regular bar that you can just go on a night and just hang out in. So when I went to my high school reunion two years ago, I was going to the bathroom. I passed the doorway, and I looked, and I saw this bar. I go, wow, there's a bar up front here. Who knew? You know, on the on the street. And I was yeah. like, oh, okay, that's, you know, and it fascinated me. Like, who are the regulars? There was no girls. There was just some dudes hanging out with some, you know, it's like five guys. And I was like, wow, that really, that's interesting. So then six months ago, I went to a bachelor party there, and I remembered. I was like, hey, you know, I want to go check that bar out. So I went to the bathroom bar. So I walked into the bar. I was like, hey, how are you? I ordered a beer. I'm looking around, and it, it's sad because it had this allure of all the 60s and 70s of when the Knights of Columbus were big. Sure, so yeah. there's a whole corner of everything that this, Knights of Columbus has done since then and now it's an old you know uh, uh, bingo hall that they don't really use anymore but in the bar they had in the back one of those huge ass um, uh, shuffleboard machines yeah yeah and I had never seen it any place else until we were watching Rudy and I was like Blake look let's go play (laughs) shuffleboard at the Knights of Columbus I don't know if I'm trying to think if it's still there there was one in the office that I've been working in 
Oh, really? There's one like in the. Is it an older? In, in like the kitchen? No, it's. I mean, it's wood and everything. Yeah, not yeah, like yeah. a plastic version of but it. But it's not like it's not. It's this one had like stuff on it. Like yeah. they haven't used it in a while. I want to like I'm gonna turn it, plug this in and like use it. You know. Um. So we talked about the music. We talked about the the the. Uh, I would the say people in that uh, the two of the producers, Robert N. Freed or Fried. Mm-hmm. Uh, he went on to. Uh, produce he produced stuff before this but uh, just picking out things that I think are notable for 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 me and our audiences uh, Bruce uh, so I married an axe murderer mm-hmm. the 1998 uh, Godzilla movie with and the boondock Saints and also uh, Carrie woods he uh, produced things to do in Denver when you're dead love that movie uh, he produced swingers yeah. which we, we didn't John, bring, which unites John Favreau and Vince Vaughn. Which we haven't no, brought up that this is what Vin, Vince Vaughn's first performance. Uh, maybe in a feature, he's in an episode of Twenty One Jump Street. Yeah, <laughs> and he's great in this movie because near the end of it, he's an asshole. But I feel like near the end of it, they really he comes around because he gets isn't redeemed. He, yeah, he's like, you know, we're doing this for Rudy, and it's like, oh, he's not really an asshole. He um, also uh, produced Scream and Copland. No, we love Copland um, and we love and Scream. Both these guys produced many yeah. other things too, but uh, those were were things that I uh, decided to note there. Uh, f- finish out Rudy's career. He, like you said, he became a public. Oh, so speaker. at some point after the movie, uh, he's also featured as a cameo in the movie. He's behind. He's Ned, behind right? Ned Beatty. He's the guy that Ned Beatty turns around and like grabs by the <laughs> jacket when Rudy goes out on the field. And he's like, I know, I lived it. <laughs> Uh, but uh, for the past X amount of years, decades, he's been a motivational speaker. I believe he lives in Las Vegas, and uh, he's got kind of like a, a team, and he goes around and he speaks to uh, whoever needs to be spoken and to. Yeah, they gave him a couple awards. They gave him like a they, they named a, an award after him. Uh, he got a uh, 2007. They made the College Football Rudy Award, and. Uh, that is for people who demonstrate the four C's, character, courage, contribution, and commitment. And then after that, he got in 2009, I think they gave, they made, they started another awards. Uh, they, they've, they've also done another award for him at some point. I think he, they have another college award uh, named after him. For uh, 2009, there is the uh, trusted sports uh, another okay same maybe it's the same award and then in uh, 2011 he got in trouble with the SEC there was some sort of investigation into a security frauds connection of, of, a, of a, uh, a business called Rudy Beveridge which he was a part of yeah. and uh, he settled out with them and he paid a fine uh, on the F- F- FEC charges yeah. which is nice that he didn't have to nothing tarnished yeah his, I yeah. believe this is actually know a little bit about that but apparently he just got involved with some yeah it wasn't it from was bad just, people yeah <laughs> he decided to endorse a product that apparently was gotten which happens to the best of us you know um so yeah i really enjoyed this was really fun you know and like i said it's just it's it, i guess it kind of proves that you don't have to be a football a, a sports fan so to speak to enjoy these movies well you yeah know? because i mean whether you know at the end of the day it's it's about perseverance and and being up against you know, seemingly impossible odds. I mean, there are, there are universal stories. You know, like I said, we're all, when we did Rocky, I was like, the beauty of Rocky is that, like, we're all Rocky. Everybody in that movie, like Adrian, Paulie, they're all Rocky. Yeah. You know, and it's Rocky's the one guy that gets his chance, and we relate to it because we're all Rocky in our own story. Yeah. And so, like, we all have 
whether it's work-related or relationship-related or family-related or just personal goals for whatever. We all have, you know, we're all, like I said, we're all the underdog in our own story. Sure. And so it's they're, they're relatable. And when they're done well, they're timeless. Yeah. And this is um, just a great example of that. Uh, you know, it's... It, it, <laughs> it's weird because it obviously takes place in the seventies, but just like the film stock and everything, and oh yeah, it's, it's so it just feels so nineties. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's the era of how the, even the pacing and the music and the music cues. It's just, it is so. But there's something beautifully nostalgic just about that because it's our youth in itself. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's nice. I'm glad we did this. It was fun. Like you said last week, this was like a palate cleanser. It's kind of nice that we're now we're getting in, you know, we're going to get into the Christmas season, the holiday season. This is a holiday season, season kind of movie. It's kind of nice that we're doing something like this. And it's it's right. It's serendipitous with a lot of the, like we said, the sports stuff and all that. People, family, you sit down with your family and you do stuff. Yeah. You either eat, you know, you watch. And it's, and it's also, like I said, I have, I have an affinity for a lot of uh, sports movies. So uh, I'm always excited when we get to do, when we do one on the show. Yeah. And this was a good one because yeah. it's one that, you know, uh, you know, we grew up with whether, you know, like Dan had seen it until now in its entirety, but um, certainly was in the zeitgeist of our childhood yeah. and, and, and growing up. And and like I said, it's kind of, yeah. it stood the test of time. It's as, fun. As, as a great sports movie. Yeah. I'm glad it, it gave me an excuse to watch it, which is great because I don't really get those a lot nowadays, you know, especially with these movies out of the, you know, 30 years old. I'm like, oh yeah, I should go check this out. <laughs> um, we have a big announcement to make. We're now on Spotify. Yes. Which is awesome. You, so you got us on Spotify. You can check us out on uh, iHeartRadio, on iTunes, on Stitcher, wherever you're listening now. Uh, that's awesome. You can always check us out on Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers for uh, you know our back catalog or special extras that we sometimes include with these episodes. We're on social media. Uh, we're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. You can uh, hit us up there, like, like us, comment, retweet us if you want to get in contact with us give us suggestions or just join the conversation uh that's always good to to do there uh blake you have a book out and some other things uh score to death conversations with some of horror's greatest composers it's available on amazon uh from other book t- retailers or from me directly at score to death.com i'm currently working on a second one um which hopefully will be out within the year and uh of course uh back episodes of score to death the podcast and hopefully I'll get back to that soon with new episodes. But I also, uh, monthly, I do a show called Cuts from the Crypt for the Damn Fine Network, where I get to play horror movie music. And uh, got some exciting, th- fun things in uh, in store for that. And, uh, of course, uh, Saturday Night Movies Leapovers, yeah. <laughs> you're listening to right now. And, of course... My uh, brother from another mother has his own book. Oh yeah, me. That's me. I got a book, Blood in the Streets. You could get that on an, uh, an Amazon, on uh, Barnes and Noble, wherever you get your books. Uh, it's available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook. Uh, I'm also writing another book too, so that'll be fun. Hopefully, that'll be out soon. Uh, and uh, you can find me on social media too. And like we always like to say, you want to support your local podcast or buy our book. That really helps us out. We'll be back in two weeks with an all-new episode into the holiday season, wrapping up 2019, which is going to yeah. be really exciting. we got some special things lined up, and we think you're really going to like them. So uh, we'll see you in two weeks. And if you want to hear us before then, go check the back catalog out. we got 169-plus episodes sitting there waiting for you to listen to if you haven't heard them. So uh, we'll see you real soon. Later. Later.